This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. To Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy. And I'm Addie. And you're listening to Series 5, Episode 20, When the Levy Breaks. Oh man, it is the final Shadowrun episode for this series. We made it to the finale, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is the finale for Series 5. Uh, I just want to give you guys a rundown for what the next two weeks are going to look like. Uh, next week on Tuesday, we won't have a full-on episode. Uh, instead, we will be releasing the short little fun blooper reel for Series 5. And then the week following that, we will release the first episode of series six uh series six case you have forgotten is going to be atomic highway which is a very fun like high octane mad max you know uh post-apocalyptic setting ryan covert is going to be the gm uh addy and myself are both going to be players which is an exciting first for the podcast i'm afraid (laughs) and then we're having sean four returning to play and uh a new cast member named alex kohansky who's going to be uh joining us for the first time it's gonna be a really really fun cast uh really high energy and the system is just super cool uh, so I really suggest that, uh, you guys give it a shot and listen to some of it. Uh, it will be a short series. So it'll only be 10 episodes. Um, and that will begin in two weeks. Uh, but first we've got episode 20 and post game chatter for you guys. So, uh, there's no words with the GM this week because we want to throw you right into the action. Uh, yeah, you may notice that this episode's timestamp is a little bit longer than most. That's because after the narrative part of the episode, we get into post-game chatter, which is kind of like Words with the GM, but with the entire cast. And we answer all the questions that you guys sent us over the past couple of weeks. We're really excited, uh, and so you should be too. Let's get you right into the episode. So let's move on in and listen to Series 5, Episode 20, When the Levy Breaks. Enjoy. Last time we left Crash 3.0, they had they had witnessed the death of their ex-friend Kashmir at the hands of his own beloved spirit Eraga, who had been resummoned as a great form toxic spirit under the complete control of the great corrupter. They watched him die despite his efforts to try and sense the full spirit formula of the great corruptor so he could send her to her plane of existence follow her there and kill her for good unfortunately he did not have enough time and he died Uh, but he left what he had figured out of the formula behind and it's nearly done like 98 percent the team uh went to beseech grundlefug of kothan care uh to help as it is as he said it was his sworn uh purpose in life to defeat the great corruptor 
Uh, and Grunnelfeld came up with a plan. He wanted to weaponize the wellspring of life in order to use it against the great form spirit of Eraga, all while he personally distracted and fought the great corruptor long enough for Nim to finish the spell formula and send her through a rift into her home uh, home plane where Grundlefug will follow her, sacrificing himself to kill her for good. They collected their things. They uh, D'Artagnan wouldn't take no for an answer and joined them. Uh, and even Yama, upon hearing that Boomer was uh, what Boomer was up to, also joined. And the team, accompanied by D'Artagnan, Yama, Elder Mazashi Mako, and Grandmaster Grundlefug are barreling into Redmond, where, above Glow City, a violent mana storm is raging. Uh, there they plan on confronting the Great Corruptor and ending this once and for all. You guys are barreling down uh, the side streets of Redmond. Uh, Bumbles, I'm going to need a driving test for you. It is not easy. Uh, your terrain modifiers are a minus five. Meanwhile, uh, Grundle, uh, Grundlefug is sitting there, his eyes rolled back white, and he, is, uh, he, he says, I can sense where she is. We're going to need to enter the Mana Storm proper to be able to, uh, to confront her. She's staying near the center. If we make it in, create an area for the ritual to begin, I can go ahead and, and engage with her while the rest of you take on whatever minions she may have and Eraga. That's seven hits. Yeah. Uh, Bumbles, uh, you do some crazy wheelman uh, maneuvers to uh, avoid the pile-on of traffic coming towards the edge of Redmond, pressing up against the containment zone that Knight Errant and Lone Star has made. Um, you zip into alleyways that are barely big enough for spot to fit. Uh, there's even a point where you're, you're driving two cars here. Yama surprisingly keeping up with you. And there is a point where uh, uh, you and Yama split. You go right, he goes left, and the West Wind rocket jumps over a wall. Uh, and the three of you reconvene on the street on the other side of that wall. Uh, For a brief second, our cause poses a team. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and you actually like get a glimpse of Yama through your sensors, and you see him like grinning and like white-knuckling. And it looks like he's like trying really hard to keep up with you. Uh, and you attribute his ability to do so only to the fact that he is a very powerful uh, physical adept. He's keeping up. Good on him. Yeah, uh, like it's not as smooth and clean as you. There's definitely parts where he scrapes his car up against the uh, against the wall to try and keep up and like bashes through some trash that you managed to avoid. Um, but he's you're not losing him. Yeah, he's a badass. You guys look up as you see the spiraling, dark, uh, ominous circle of this mana storm. Lightning bolts moving along from cloud to cloud all different colors, yellow, green, blue, white, purple, everything. Uh, it's, it's completely chaotic looking up there. Rundlefug says, just a little bit, uh, little bit deeper in and we, can, we can make a bulkhead there. Bumbles, I'm going to need another driving test for you. Uh, same modifier? Yep. That's seven hits again. Mouse, as you guys pass into the shadow of this mana storm, where you actually see rain falling upward from the ground, up into the sky. You don't know where it's coming from or anything. It seems like the moisture of the earth is being drawn up as raindrops. It seems like the moisture of the earth is being drawn up from the ground as raindrops floating up into the sky. And you lose Matrix connection for like a block and then it comes back. 
in the sense that like you feel like somehow the the en- the energy around this storm is creating a sort of almost faraday cage where nothing from inside the storm can go out and vice versa but there is still matrix connection within the storm uh, like all of those devices still exist, so they do make their own like network of of hackable uh, matrix entities and icons. Um. Okay, I'm gonna matrix perception. Sure, go for it. And Bumbles, what did you get on your drive test? Uh, seven hits. You veer and skid uh, to uh, power slide around a corner, and as you do, gunfire comes from a. a up above on one of the buildings, leaning through a window, um, eyes kind of glowing yellow. You see what looks like a normal dude, just like an orc with an automatic pistol just firing at you randomly. Uh, and uh, he's got yellow eyes, or he's got glowing headlight kind of eyes, and in his forehead there's a diamond uh, that is also glowing. Am I able to shoot back? Seven hits. Yeah, Mouse, you get... A thorough readout of everything around here. I mean, you know, it's it's Redmond, so any like any devices around here are probably relatively low end. Uh, you can you can pick up all of them. You think you don't see anything completely out of the weird, out of the ordinary. You see random comlinks, cyber decks, some smart link weapons, other vehicles that are trying to leave, and just like all the municipal hubs, everything. Yeah, Boomer, you can start to uh, shoot back, um, but as you do, without really looking at you. Uh, uh, Masashi Mako puts a hand on your shoulder and says, His mind is not his own. The great corruptor is using the denizens of Redmond against us. All right. And uh, you guys drive out of range of that dude's automatic pistol as he just shoots randomly, and then he just like looks a little lost for what to do. Uh, you guys get a little bit deeper in, and uh, the, the wind swirls around. This rain that is pouring upward pours up faster. Um, you reach kind of like a, a crossroads, like a, a, like a six or a three streets intertwined into a large uh, six-way intersection. And there's a, uh, a crack of energy as uh, the mana storm shoots down a bolt. Nim, you feel the surge of, uh, of a magical spell inherently being cast by this storm itself. Flies down, hits Yama's car. And turns it invisible. Huh. Yama? And, and Yama's like, what the frag? My, what happened to my car? <laughs> Wait, so is Yama just like sitting there in the air driving nothing? He's driving an invisible car, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. And uh, he looks he looks like he's like not really controlling it very well. And uh, actually... Um, can I like stabilize him between the Mach 6 and Spot? Uh, you can try, yeah. Go ahead and uh, uh, roll a vehicle test. I'm gonna uh, feed Yama our sensors, which should still be picking up the car. Sure. So he can see where his car is on his HUD. Sure, sure. That will assist him in this roll. That's seven hits again. Uh, so Yama looks panicked for a second and very confused, understandably. And uh, he starts to lose control of the car. He doesn't know where it is. He clips a trash can and the wheels start to spin out. Um, and uh, Bumbles, you immediately jump into action. Uh, you move to what, like to the left with Spot getting uh, falling back and getting on that side while the Westwind pulls up beside him. And, and you kind of like, he would fishtail out, but instead he bumps into the Westwind uh, and you're able to uh, keep that from losing control also. 
Um, and then Mouse, you send him the feedback of the sensors, and like he like looks at that in his AR. It seems like, and he's like kind of not watching the road anymore. Now he's watching the sen- his like AR display sensors, and he looks like uh, you know he does slow down a little bit. Um, and Grundlefug says, uh, "Not too much farther. I can sense her. She's close." And uh, you get to another one of those like uh, intersections, another big uh, six point intersection, and he goes here. We can we can do the ritual here. Cool. Um, I make as best a perimeter as I can with Spot and the Westwind. Sorry, sure. with Spot and the Mach Six. Sure. Uh, so Spot pulls over uh, immediately as Spot is actually skidding to like block one of the streets. The door opens up and Mizashi Mako casually walks out. The front part of Spot barely missing behind her as she just like quickly and deliberately just walks as if she's like not affected by the speed that she was just moving at. And she like walks uh, quickly and kind of like trots a little bit quicker to the center, uh, spins her naganata around, sets it down and like presses her other hand on the, uh, the ground. And you see the rainfall that is coming from the ground going upward uh, stop in about a 12 foot diameter around her. Like it just clears and she starts chanting something. Uh, and D'Artagnan, as soon as the car actually stops, D'Artagnan leaps out and moves to her side. Um, and then the Westwind parks in front of another thing. Yama parks his invisible car <laughs> in front of another thing, steps out, and he reaches into his invisible trunk and <laughs> and rummages around for a second and then pulls out. Yama is just like a hair taller than Doc. Yama's like... 11 feet tall, massive troll. Um, and he's wearing a very, very fine armored, uh, silvery white suit. And he pulls out, uh, his, uh, his ringed fingers gripping on the handle of a gigantic Nodachi. Uh, Kashmir's katana looks like a short sword, like child's toy compared to this nodachi this is uh the shape of a katana but like the blade alone is like 13 feet long and uh, yama like spins it effortlessly and like like starts looking around for for any trouble uh what do the rest of you guys do i'm gonna hop out i think i'm going to be prepared for the worst and have my barret ready and uh, i'm gonna go join d'artagnan to keep uh keep her safe Crundle Thug, uh, where is the Great Corruptor going to appear? Do we do you know? Uh, he points more inward. There's one street that's kind of seems like it's going directly to the center of the mana storm, and he raises his hand, kind of like turning his his ears almost as if to listen, and like kind of like gestures with his hand. He's like, "Around there, keep your eyes there. She'll be here soon." Okay. Hey, Boomer, if you're gonna use your big sniper, can I borrow? Yeah, yeah, assault rifle. The gun I have built into my arm is not useful in this scenario. Uh. Or, like, whatever you're willing to part with. This thing's basically a pea shooter. All right. And Boomer hands you Sheila. Take care of her. Don't worry. I will. Drones are people, too. But she's a gun. A gun's basically a drone, right? Sure. Yeah. I'm going to say yes. Uh, and then the swarm will, uh,. Will guard uh, Mako. All right, the swarm uh, moves, hovering, uh, kind of like D'Artagnan's trying to look where the swarm is not. Uh, looks like Yama is patrolling like two streets uh, that don't have the cars in front of them as as backup. He's like kind of like keeping an eye on both of those. Mouse, what are you up to? Um, I'm gonna 
go into a uh, VR. Sure. And I am going would like to matrix perception and then ping every device that is around. Try to get like a full on readout. Just every every device that's not like a microwave or a toaster, like any com link, definitely any weapon, any deck, like just like I want to paint as big of a radius as I can. Sure. Uh, go ahead and roll Matrix Perception. There is a significant amount of noise due to the uh, the mana storm. Uh, you're going to be rolling at a minus eight. Also, can I take cover behind Spot and still see this area that Grundlethug told me to look towards? Yeah, you can get some cover. Um, yeah, yeah. So that can be the one that Spot uh, parked behind. And it looks like, you know, it's, it is Redmond, so it looks like the street kind of, the street that Grundlethug is pointing down, uh, looks like some of the buildings there are pretty dilapidated, uh, and uh, uh, you actually do get a pretty good view as, like, there's not much of a skyline there for a minute. Uh, like, almost like a long time ago, that neighborhood uh, between where you are and where he's pointing probably, like, was uh, the scene of, like, an urban brawl, uh, like competition that like blew up a lot of the buildings i'd also like to cast increased reflexes sure at force four force four okay i'm gonna ready some kamikaze how much on your matrix perception mouse uh nine all right and how much on your increased reflexes nim one hit okay uh so you get plus one to your static initiative uh no extra dice for your initiative test Additionally, uh, as you cast the spell, you feel this surge of magical energy whirling around you uh, that you can't quite control, and the force of your spell goes up by three. Uh, So that will change how much drain you have to resist. I take four drain. Okay. You cast that spell. It doesn't work exactly how you want. You get hit with a lot more magical backlash than you want. It feels like it comes from the storm itself. And then you switch over to Astral to be ready. Um, There's just a whirlwind of Astral energy around you. It's overwhelming. It's not even like one aspected version of magic. It's like every like millisecond, there's a different emotion just slamming into you at like full force. It's overwhelming, intense. You feel like you're working at like a minus eight background count. And then you feel a cold chain wrap around your neck and that all clears. And uh, you actually kind of get a little bit better vision. All of these these magical astral energies spinning around you seem a little more translucent. You have a clearer vision. And you look down and you see this glowing focus around your neck uh, that has an astral signature that's tied to Grundlethug as he's just placed that amulet he was wearing around his neck around your neck. Uh, and uh, he, like, presses his hand on your shoulder and he's like, this should help. Thanks. Mouse, uh, you scan, you get... Again, everything, uh, you do narrow it down to things that are nearby, especially things that are approaching. And it seems like a lot. Um, you get like a like a, a five-block radius around you, and you just see lots of like icons moving towards you. Vehicles, guns. You actually see a couple personas in the Matrix who seem to be looking around for you. I'm super sneaky. Uh, yeah, go ahead and roll sleaze and logic. Sure. <clears throat> Yama says, I have company. And uh, you look and you see down that street, you see... Well, it looks like maybe like four or five gangers, uh, all wearing like red leather um, jackets, sprinting down. Uh, they all seem to be orcs, and they're uh, they're holding like submachine guns, pistols, and everything, and they're rushing towards Yama. Again, their eyes are glowing, uh, are, are illuminated yellow, and on their forehead, a glowing yellow diamond, a hollow diamond, shines. 
I hit Mikami. Sure. And with uh, with that scene running down towards you guys, I need everyone to roll initiative. Does anyone have over 35? I have nope. 37. 37? Yeah. All right. Anyone have over uh, over 20? Uh, uh, I, have, I have 27. Okay. I have 26. Nim, how much did you get? I got 10. You guys all look down where Yamaseti has company. You see those those like six gangers running down towards you. Uh, and then down another street, you see uh, two guys on motorcycles coming down towards you. Um, you also see down another street uh, a like Ford Americar like with like misshapen wheels and like a and like just like uh like a beaten up like frame skid around and like bump into like a a trash can knocking it out and start moving its way down towards you so if the place where grundlefug is pointing nim is 12 o'clock uh yama is at eight o'clock on that uh at that street um and then at six o'clock just counterclockwise from him down that street is where the two motorcycles are coming. And then at four o'clock, um, that's where that one Ford Americar is coming at two o'clock and 10 o'clock. You guys see the rain get disrupted by something and materializing there. Uh, you see on each street, uh, one large snake-like figure appear. These snakes are large around as a tree trunk, um, and they have horns on their head, kind of similar to that of, like, uh, an elk, but, like, razor-sharp-looking and a little distorted. And blazing like a crest on its forehead is a diamond shape similar to what you've been seeing on these other people. Um, its scales, or their scales, like, glow, and when the water hits them, it's like they spark. Uh, with, like, weird yellow, like, radioactive energy. Uh, their face is, like, huge. Like, looks like they could swallow, uh, like, a, an average metahuman whole. Uh, as they hiss and, and bite at you, you see two giant fangs, like, the, the size of Boomer's katana. And they start slithering through the, through the streets towards you. They're, they're closer than anything else because they materialize pretty close to where you guys are. Um, Spot is blocking, uh, is giving Nim cover. Yama's car is covering the spirit uh, at 10 o'clock, and the West Wind is blocking the spirit at 2 o'clock. As they slither down towards you, those motorcycles start coming, those gangers are, springing, are, streaming, are running towards you, and that car is barreling down your way. And as this opposition starts approaching you guys from all sides, um, right in the center of this intersection, Mizashi Mako chanting to herself, D'Artagnan standing and trying to just, like waiting for anything to break past your guys' defenses so that he can protect Mako. You hear a loud <laughs> and one of the buildings down where Grundlefug is pointing crumbles to the side and there's a roaring sound. Uh, Nim, in the astral, you get this blaring, bright, gross yellow light that seems like almost fluid in its, in its like form, though it is sharp and hot. Um, and uh, all of those feelings that like you were feeling when you were like uh, sensing Kashmir's room and sensing Jason's room and, and all those places that you were when you were following Kashmir's trail. It's like that, but like even even more potent and awful. Um, and you all see as 
easily standing over 30 meters tall, with a body definitely over twice that in length. Her shape can be best described as that of a panther or a tiger, um, though her body is covered in dark teal scales. At her head, there are two large, curved, almost bowl-like horns that have a faint turquoise fluorescent to the base of them. Uh, meanwhile, her eyes glow, or her eyes burn like bright headlights with that same sick yellow glow. Along her spine, standing straight up, there's a row of razor-sharp-looking fins. And as she knocks down this building, approaching you guys, uh, her tail whips around, smacking half of a nearby building down. It is disproportionately long for her body and thins out and flattens vertically as uh, so that it resembles more of like the rear of an eel than that of like a cat's tail. She crushes smaller buildings and cars underneath her large, fiercely sharp, clawed and webbed feet. Uh, she lets out a roar. Those those beaming eyes turn and illuminate you guys for a second. You guys immediately, the Geiger counter on your uh, biometric uh, readout spikes. And you guys all hear Grundlefug go, we meet again. And he starts walking down the street towards her. And again, Nim, in the astral, you get hit with this bright light. Um, all this time you've sensed Grundlefug, his aura has been kind of faint and gentle. Um, and it flashes and flares with anger and just raw power as all of you see his body give way to something out of a storybook. Slightly larger than, uh, uh, than the great corruptor's true form, Grundlefug's gold scales crackle with some, uh, with some kind of electric energy as he reveals himself to be a dragon. There seems to be, as he takes flight, his giant wings spreading out and easily picking up the, the wind. Uh, you, there seems to be a radiant trail of light following behind him. And he takes flight, and immediately the eyes of, uh, of the great corruptor, uh, whom Grundlefug has referred to as Avadarun, uh, move away from you guys and follow him in flight as he curves upward into the sky, almost disappearing in the dark clouds of the, th of the mana storm. Weird arcane energies strike into his body. He seems to harness them in his mouth and shoot a beam of energy down towards Ava Darun, hitting her square in the chest and knocking her off balance. She whips her body around, smacking down three more buildings as she does, and she turns her body perpendicular to you, looking in a different direction, clashing against Grundlefug, raising up her giant clawed hands and batting him down to the ground. And they begin fighting on the ground there. Nim, you, your astral form, your, your, <laughs> your astral perception is just like wave after wave as you, you see this scene like no one else is seeing it. You see the true strength of these two creatures as they clash in, in battle. Mouse, you're up first. <laughs> okay, cool. I am going to go big or go home. Okay. Um, and get marks by forking my my attention on the uh, Ford Americar, and then also three of the four um, smart linked guns that are going up against Yama. Okay. Okay. 
This is for the Ford Americar and one of the smart linked guns. Okay. The the nastiest smart link gun. <laughs> sure, sure. There's an assault rifle in there. You can tag that. Okay. Five hits. Okay. You get three marks on both the Ford Americar and the uh, smart linked AK uh, AK97 that are charging your team. Okay. But you said you were also splitting uh, to fork twice. Uh, so you just successfully forked uh, a hack on the fly to those two devices. What were the other two you were going for? Um, two of the three remaining guns going up against Yama. Okay. Six hits. All right. You get three marks on those uh, smart-linked weapons as well. One is a pistol and one is a shotgun. I give Nim five of my initiative. Sure. You see Yama... Uh, cut through this upward pouring rain with his nodachi and then he starts walking towards the uh, uh, the gangers uh, who are sprinting towards him, all six of them uh, they raise their guns and shoot at him, uh, but they're a little too far and the storm is a little too crazy they're just pot shots and Yama does, doesn't seem to be threatened by them, and uh, as he's approaching them he gets faster and faster and faster uh, and then um, he leaps up into the air and uh, drops down in the middle of all of them and his body crackles with electric energy uh, spreading through the storm uh, uh, hitting a few of them uh, as he lands he uh, brushes his electrical body against them bumping into them, charging them and uh, uh Two of them just get zapped and fall straight down. And as they do that, those little golden diamonds or those little glowing diamonds on their head fade away. And he turns, brandishing his katana, the electric energy of his body coursing down into the blade of his katana as he turns to face the others who are now scrambling to turn and shoot at him. Boomer, it's your turn. So there's two giant snake spirits coming our way, right? Yep. One at 10 o'clock and one at two o'clock. There's a crazy storm going on. Bunch of crazy dreck is happening. So that can only mean one thing. It's boomer time! <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna bullseye triple tap one of the spirits. Go for it. I got seven. You get one net hit. Fifteen at minus twenty-two armor. You see as this as the snake slithers towards you faster and faster and faster. You, uh, which one are you shooting at? The one that's beyond uh, Yama's car or the one that's beyond the west wind? Yama's car. I don't want his car to get destroyed. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's 10 o'clock you're shooting down. You feel out where Yama's invisible car is. It's helped. You're able to find it a little more easily because the rain that is pouring up from the bottom is kind of like giving it its shape. And... Uh, you uh, you kind of feel out the top. You rest your sniper rifle on the hood of the car, and you squeeze off three quick shots. Uh, all like you're calmly doing this, but this thing is moving with supernatural speed, slithering through as if it's swimming in water, and it zooms at you, almost like launching its body at you. The its mouth opening up, those two like sword length fangs sp- like reaching out towards you, like venom dripping from them, and you just shoot straight down its gullet and it bursts into astral energy and fit and dissipates around you. <laughs> On to the next one. Uh, Bumbles, you're up. Uh, okay. I mean, I've seen Boomer just obliterate spirits with that rifle. 
So I'm going to lay down suppressive fire on the uh, the other snake. Sure. And command the swarm to fire stick and shock at both of the motorcyclists. Okay. Uh, go ahead and roll. Uh, that's five hits for suppressive fire. Okay. Uh, so the first swarm shot is three hits. Okay. The second swarm shot is eight hits. All right, so the swarm splits its fire between two targets. Uh, one of them rides up on the curb to avoid the shots. Miss, you miss them entirely. The second one takes the full brunt of its volley, though. Uh, gets hit with a bunch of stick and shock. Electricity pops in the rain, uh, and you see it pum- uh, plummet to the ground and roll uh, lipless. And you do see uh, on the back of his jacket the symbol of the Red Hot Nukes. He looks alive, though, yeah? Yes. Uh, shooting him with a stick and shock, you're you're pretty sure he took some he took some physical damage from the fall. But I'm not... fine if he's very hurt but alive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the other red hot nuke member with eyes glowing and the diamond in his forehead uh, go gets closer and closer to you. Nim, you are up. I'd like to sense the great corruptor. Okay, go ahead and roll a sensing. You have no background count modifiers due to the protection of Grundlefug's amulet. I'm gonna edge that. Okay. That's five hits. So you sit there, you kind of clutch this amulet for comfort, and uh, you start ascensing. It's hard. It like the the light coming off of the great corruptor alone like burns you and overwhelms you. But like there's an equally powerful light. It's like this really lush green color coming off of uh, Grundlefug's aura uh, that seems to be batting back the bright. Uh, like sterile light of the uh, of the great corruptor, and you're able to like kind of you like shift your head to try and get more of Grundlefug's light, like helping <laughs> you, uh, and you you just start staring really hard, and soon through the bright blinding yellow light, you start to see the actual aura of the great corruptor, and with five hits, you can begin working on completing the formula. And let me tell you, it feels enraged. It—it <laughs> uh, it is furious. You actually get the sense of uh, just the slightest bit of surprise and uh, that it didn't predict this. You get the distinct feeling with five hits that the Great Corruptor was sure Grundlefug was dead. Uh, you see as uh, the three uh, gangers that are still around uh, Yama open fire on him. Uh, and he dives out of the way, barely avoiding it, kind of like dropping uh, down on one knee um, and like kind of lunging to like dodge his body. Uh, and then he swings back at them and they all like stop shooting to jump away from the giant reach of his Nodachi, uh, gigantic katana. And uh, that car comes barreling down um, with no barrier to prevent it from getting to the center. Um, and uh, uh, D'Artagnan, who has been holding his action, springs springs forward and starts sprinting towards the uh, the car before it can get to where Mizashi Mako is, and uh, he slides over to the side, cutting the tires as he does, uh, and the tires blow, and the car spins out of control, and Boomer, I need you to roll a dodge test. <laughs> All right. The car just barely inches past. Mizashi Mako losing control. She's unfazed. She sits there perfectly still, chanting to herself. You see as the rain that had stopped around her 
starts rotating clockwise. Uh, Boomer, I need you to roll a damage resist test. Your armor is at a minus six. That's 13. You resist 13 damage? Yes. Uh, You take five physical damage as uh, you're able to jump up enough so that you're not pinned between this this Ford Americar and Yama's car. Um, The Ford accordions against Yama's car. You're smacked up. You shatter the windshield. The corner or the edge of the roof uh, jabs into your neck and you feel your collarbone fracture as you go flying into the street uh, a good 15 feet, landing and skidding and rolling uh, along the ground, uh, uh, smacking your head into the ground. Uh, You feel your nose break as it bashes into the front of your helmet. Uh, And uh, you lay there. Um, Not dead, but very hurt as you are hit by a car. But I'm also on Kami! All right, you're laying down suppressive fire. The snake slithers to the side, slithers to another side. You actually manage to shoot it, and you see one of the uh, horns on its head, the sharp razor-like ram horns on the head of this giant basilisk-sized snake snap and dissipate into magical energy as it leaps forward and bites at you, um, pushing through your suppressive fire, taking some damage. Um, I need you to um, roll a dodge test. Uh, I'm going to edge that. Okay. That's seven hits. All right. The snake leaps over uh, the Mach 6, biting at you. Those giant fangs lashing out at you, but they miss you completely as you as you drop down behind the cover of your car. And uh, the, the snake soars over you, landing and coiling up and turning back to, towards you, looking at you, hissing, uh, but missing you entirely. Uh, you guys watch as uh, Yama ducks under uh, one of the guys who's trying to tackle him, picking him up on his shoulder, electrocuting him as he does, and then just shrugs him off as he's limp. Uh, and then um, another one goes for him, and he catches his arm under his own and, like, snaps it and electrocutes him, and he falls down. Uh, and then Yama swings for the, uh, for the final one, the one with the AK-97, who jumps back out of the way. Um, meanwhile, off in the distance, you see as more buildings get shoved, uh, Grundlefug's dragon form uh, spreads his wings about the wingspan or over the wingspan of a 747, pushes them down, launching himself up, smacking uh, the uh, smacking Avadarun back off of him, who who had had him pinned a moment before. Uh, pushes her back. She rolls under her back and like kind of kicks back up under her four legs um, as uh, as Grundlefug swoops up in the air and then dive bombs straight down. Uh, again, uh, these weird raking uh, energies from the storm hit his body. This time it seems to kind of disturb him. He, uh, he kind of loses control as he's plummeting, still manages to wing uh, Avadarun with his magical... Uh, with the golden fire that shoots out of his mouth, scorching her one of her hind legs. Um, but he just smacks into the ground. The earth shakes and a big crater is formed as he just full-on terminal velocity smacks into the ground. Uh, and one of the buildings nearby that was already pretty damaged crumbles and falls from the quake. Uh, and um, you hear a, a 
a roar of, of like triumphant glee from Avadarun that shakes you guys to your core as she turns and starts clawing at him again. Uh, you see golden scales flying up into the air uh, and blood, in fact. And uh, Mouse, it's your turn. I'm going to, um, as a simple action, I'm going to sp- uh, control the gun to eject its clip. Okay. Uh, that can actually be a free action um, because it is a smart linked gun. Yeah. As a free action, I'll um, eject the clip sure. from the gun. Uh, I'm not going to make you roll for it. The gun does not have the chops to go against you, what you do with three marks on it. Sure. And how damaged is this Americar? Uh, the Americar, you glance out of spot and see, I guess you look through the sensors on spot and see that it is accordioned against uh, Yama's car, which has reappeared, is no longer magically invisible, um, and the driver uh, is leaning up against the deflating airbag, uh, unconscious. Uh, the car is completely totaled. It okay. doesn't look like it can drive. It's actually like, removing it from Yama's car will be difficult enough. Okay. I will um, data spike the motorcycle. Sure, that Red Hog Nuke is barreling down uh, at the 6 o'clock uh, street. It is coming straight up, uh, completely unhindered. You see it in the Matrix, and you draw your rapier in your little mouse form and go charging at that icon to, to lunge and stab. Go ahead and roll a data spike. Kreslin, like, ducks down, and then I jump over and I lunge that. Sure. <laughs> Ten. Hits, um, and my uh, attack rating is at 10. Okay, uh, so he's resisting 15 matrix damage, um, which he doesn't do very well against. The motorcycle's uh, engine pops and sparks and spews flames, uh, and it doesn't quite explode, uh, though the Red Hawk Nuke is going to have to try and maintain control. As uh, as the fires like lick at his feet and like the the like motion of the engine is no longer assisting him in travel, <laughs> it's kind of fighting him now, <laughs> and he loses control of his bike, skidding down, uh, sliding and rolling on the ground, uh, and he hits his head on the curb, and uh, and you see the uh, glowing eyes and the little diamond on his forehead fade out of uh, out of view, and he is unconscious. Boomer, it's your turn. After just getting hit by a car going full speed, I jump back onto my feet, laughing, and uh, I'm going to do a bullseye triple tap against the other spirit. Cool. You stand up, turn back from the way you just flew from, aiming over the, the smoking wreckage of, uh, of Yama's car and this other uh, and this Ford Americar. You are going to be at a minus two. Uh, because of the like f- flames and smoke from those cars kind of distorting your vision. But you do see the form of this antlered snake turning towards Bumbles, hissing and about to like coil up and lunge at him. Right. I'm going to edge that. Okay. Nine. Okay. Bumbles, you see this snake coiling up, about to just lunge at you. The speed with which it was moving before made it impressive enough from a distance, but now this close, you're afraid this thing is just going to blow you through the west wind. Well, but like, I can see Boomer through a bunch of other cameras. Right. I feel pretty okay. And you think that, and there's a... And uh, you see all three shots go through the neck of this uh, of this spirit, which actually se- separates from the rest of the body, floating upward and disappearing into astral. And then the rest of the body shatters into astral energy as well. I send Boomer a thumbs up emoji. 
I send him a winky kissy face. <laughs> You're weird on Kamikaze. <laughs> <laughs> Bumbles, it's your turn. What's still around? Currently, there's just the uh, ganger who is uh, squared off against Yama, his clip having just fallen out. Um, however, you do see as soon as that snake is killed, the glowing diamond on the per- on that ganger's forehead begins to fade and his eyes return to normal. Okay. I will have the swarm rise up. Sure. I just want to see anything else coming around here that it's possible a mouse might have missed because they're not in the Matrix. Sure. Go ahead and roll. Uh, you do see, like, in the Matrix, there are other Matrix entities approaching you, but you can raise up and get, like, a, a full lay of the land. Go ahead and roll a perception test as the swarm lifts up in the air and tries to uh, get an aerial view of everything. Uh, that's four hits. Okay. You see from at four o'clock, six o'clock and eight o'clock on each road, about five to seven people running your way, eyes glowing, diamonds on their forehead. And you see around the corner at 10 o'clock and two o'clock, more spirits materialize, two on each street. Do I have a clear shot at them with the swarm? Yeah, you'll... Well, I've got one of those drones has a sniper on it. Oh, cool. Yeah, with a sniper rifle, you don't have any range penalties. Uh, okay, so... You are probably at a minus two because of the, the heavy rain that is pouring upwards, uh, distorting your, your scope a little bit, but yeah. Sure, okay. Um, so, are, are they the same spirit, or are they two different spirits? Uh, they look ju- They actually look slightly larger than the two spirits you guys just confronted, and there's four of them now. Two, at, uh, two coming down the two o'clock lane, and two coming down the ten o'clock lane. Okay. I'm gonna guess that maybe they on expecting this and I'm gonna have the swarm uh, fire twice with the sniper at, Okay, at one of them at one of them sure go for it uh, you said it's a minus two yes well uh, okay so the first shot is very good and is seven hits and the second shot is less good and is one hit uh, the second shot definitely misses but the first shot does hit with uh, four net hits how much damage is that? Uh, that's 18 physical damage at minus five armor piercing. Your shot doesn't quite hit like in the head or where you assume the heart might be like you might like. It kind of shoots off part of the tail, uh, which like dissipates and shortens the length of this tree trunk thick uh, snake as they start slithering down the street and into vision uh, for, for everyone. Uh, at an alarming speed. Um, and I will, if possible, can I sort of mark an AR, the people who are too far to see? Yep. Yeah, I'll just... Badoop, badoop, badoop. Hey, new friends! Yep, got them in my sights already. Coming around the corner in the street where Yama is standing, um, uh, come six guys, um, all holding uh, automatic weapons that just fire down on Yama, uh, suppressing him. Uh, he has to, like dive and leap to try and get behind some some cover so he's not completely uh, uh, torn apart. And uh, the snakes come barreling down. Um, They don't quite get to where you are behind the car, Bumbles, Uh, but one of them does get close enough to, like, coil up and kind of, like, jump in the air and spit acid down towards you. Meanwhile, Boomer, two snakes come zipping around the corner. You're halfway down that street. They get to you. Both of them attack you. I'm going to need two dodge tests from you, Boomer. We're going to edge that one. Uh, that's four hits. Okay. 
Seven on my first one. Five on my second. Boomer, you see these snakes coming. You've just turned from shooting that one. You're laughing high on Kamikaze. And you turn, you see these two snakes shooting towards you, slithering unnaturally uh, for how fast they're going. And they launch themselves into the air and uh, bite at you. You manage to smack one of them away with your rifle, and the other one hits you and bites down on you. Uh, and its fangs fail to find purchase through your armor, scraping against the armor, and you shrug it off, launching it to the ground. These things are strong, and they now have you uh, kind of uh, pinned down between the two of them. Uh, Bumbles, the acid does hit you. Um, You're going to need to roll um, uh, an armor test at minus five. Uh, You're resisting 11 damage. Uh, So I resist six damage. Okay. So you take five damage, and your suit, your very fine suit, soaked, but still very nice uh, from Lockham and Grep, begins to corrode, and and, uh, part of it melts away, revealing the bare chest uh, of your walker uh, drone body, Um, and uh, your armor is permanently reduced by one for now. Nim, it's your turn. I, I start to use the formula. Sure. You reach into your pocket and pull out that uh, photograph of Bumbles, Boomer, Mouse, and Cashmere. Uh, you take just the briefest of seconds to like think about how it echoes the photograph that you posted on, uh, on the wall in the kitchen of the manor. And you flip it over and you see the glowing astral writing from Kashmir of this nearly complete formula, and you uh, you begin tracing with your mind to try and finish it, etching what you see floating around in the astral uh, around the Great Corruptor to try and finish this formula. Uh, go ahead and roll Arcana for me. I will edge that. Okay. Seven hits. <laughs> Uh, you start making some good progress. You you get like a really good glean as the as the great corruptor raises up both of its claws, like bearing its chest, slashing down, ripping apart the scales from Grundlefug, clawing and just throwing them up, biting down. Uh, you feel the glee from her bouncing against you, uh, but within that astral surge, you see a part of her true name, and you latch onto that image and you begin etching it to try and finish this formula. Again, uh, the Great Corruptor is buffeted back, uh, not by as smooth a move as before. Grundlefug does not go flying up. Instead, he just kind of manages to clock her with his tail after she had rolled him onto his back and was clawing away at his back. Uh, He smacks her with his tail, pushes himself up, turns, and tries to bite at one of her legs uh, and uh, gets purchased for a minute you see, like the the teal dar- or the dark teal scales of her legs scrape, uh, and then she flicks her leg up, and he goes flying into a building, uh, managing to like while smashing into it and like making it crumble, he manages to catch himself with his wings, uh, though they are tattered and damaged, so he can't really take full flight. He kind of falls to uh, his four legs and lets out a pained roar. And then the uh, uh, the Great Corruptor uh, uh, lets out uh, a, a roar to match it, and they both charge at each other, clashing and swirling together. You don't know which one's winning this bout. And then there's a rumbling, quaking sound, and you hear a pained, high-pitched screech. And you all look up, and in the swirling, hurricane-like clouds above you with magical energy bouncing around inside them, you see uh, 
some of those clouds coalesce into the form of a large bird and then two headlight eyes flick on and look down at you. You feel the burn of the radiation as it looks your way and Eraga comes flying down towards you guys at full speed and as he reveals himself uh, the the ground begins to quake. There's a full-on earthquake happening just due to his presence and windows begin shattering and uh, weaker buildings begin to crumble and fall. The people who are shooting towards Yama seem to lose their footing a little bit and Yama even himself is struggling against this. All physical actions currently are at a minus three due to the quaking earth below you guys. Uh, like, there's even a point where uh, where the like spot is, you see the ground like push upwards and lower back down. Um, and then, as he's barreling down towards you guys full speed, his long, sharp, shadowy beak opens up, and you see uh, this like light from his eyes kind of enter his beak and burn down towards you guys. I need Nim to roll uh, a dodge test. This is in goal. Uh, this is uh, a noxious breath attack against Nim, um, D'Artagnan, and Mazashi Mako. Um, I'm going to spend my last two edge to use the interrupt action, Lucky Duck. Okay. The attack misses Nim. Um, Bumbles, uh, you look up, you see the same figure. Um, due to your knowledge of magical, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of magical threats, you know what's happening. This is a magical threat. Uh, uh, you know roughly the cone with which uh, a spirit this size can make. You know it's going to engulf Nim, D'Artagnan, and Mazashi Mako, and you make a decision right then to try and help Nim. You don't know what to do. You're panicking. Uh, you have two snakes, uh, two snake spirits barreling down on you. One has just shot acid at you. You're reeling from that attack. You see this happening. Without thinking, you release your grapple hand. <laughs> <laughs> And you don't so much like grab and pull Nim out of the way or anything. You just hit her with the grapple hand. Um, ah. Nim, you're smacked uh, in like the in the rib by this grapple hand that basically just punches you. This metal hand just hits you, and you go flying forward, bumping into spot. Um, and uh, this attack from Eraga, the light focuses on where you just were, Nim. And within that light, there's just it all goes black as this noxious fume shoots down and covers D'Artagnan and Mazashi Mako from vision. The, the light returning to Eraga's eyes, he breaks off his attack, swooping over you guys. You get this, this rumbling uh, blow as the wind from underneath him pushes down on you uh, and disperses the black column of smoke that he had just made around Mazashi Mako and D'Artagnan. You see D'Artagnan laying on the ground, motionless. Mazashi Mako, you see the back of her armor, five of the glyphs are lit up bright, and there's a little dome around her that slowly cracks and shatters, and those glyphs disappear from her armor. And she continues, unmo uh, unmoving, chanting, and uh, the, swirling, uh, uh, the swirling energy around her gets faster and faster, and she seems completely unfazed by what's going on around her. And you see Araga crest along the rubbled city of Glow City. In between you guys and the fight that's happening between uh, Ava Darun and Grundlefug, Araga swoops around and comes back around for another attack. 
Yama tries to retreat from uh, all the gunfire, but the the moving, uh, quaking earth beneath him seems to make him slightly uh, off balance, and two of the bullets pierce through his shoulder, uh, blowing out uh, the um, the natural troll uh, bone like bony armor, shattering uh, as he stumbles back into the main intersection and uh, tries to find cover. He presses himself against like uh, a metal like burnt out uh, mailbox um, and reaches into his jacket, wincing at the pain in his shoulder as he pulls out uh, uh, three shurikens and pops up from where he is and launches them towards uh, towards the six men running down the street, full auto burst, like firing at him. And three of them get hit in the throat and fall down dead. Mouse, it's your turn. Okay. Is D'Artagnan dead? Looking through your sensors, you can see his chest move just slightly. His face getting pelted by, or getting soaked by rain that is seeping out of the ground and, and moving along his face. You see, like, some of it get disturbed by the by his breath. Um, I'm going to come out of VR into AR, and then I am going to run over to D'Artagnan. Sure. Smack him with a stim patch. Okay. And then run towards Yama, if I can. Sure, yeah. Uh, you come bursting out of spot, uh, running towards where Dart is, dropping to your knees, skidding along the wet ground, water shooting up behind you. You pull out a slap patch and slap it on D'Artagnan's neck. Um, he, you hear a gasp and then a cough as he inhales some of the water. <laughs> and you don't take any more time. You use that momentum of you skidding on your knees to pop back up to your feet and run the rest of the way to take cover where Yama is. Okay. Uh, and you, he sees you, uh, like, getting to him, and you see him grin. Uh, his, like, toothy tusks, like, showing as he, like, his eyes are, like, bright with the, like, heat of battle. Uh, you know the symptoms of kamikaze. <laughs> uh, speaking of kamikaze, Boomer, it's your turn. Well, I got these fraggers right where I want them, and I'm going to triple tap the next one. Okay, you hold the Barrett down, no scoping, as you pull the trigger three times to try to shoot this thing at point blank. Their body's charging you, you're stumbling back trying to get enough range to even point this large barrel at them. Uh, you're going to be rolling a minus four. Edge. Okay. Eight. All right, Boomer, you get two net hits. How much damage is this thing resisting? 16 minus 22. You uh, you stumble back trying to get this barrel pointed at this thing. You squeeze off three quick shots. Right the millisecond before you do, you realize that you, you're stumbling back too hard and you're going to miss. But the other snake that's behind you kind of like bumps up against you, pushing you forward, pushing your the barrel of your gun directly against the, the body of the snake you're aiming at. And you squeeze off all three shots and they just all pierce through. And that... Uh, snake bursts into astral uh, energy um, as the other snake raises up behind you, rain pelting it as it opens its mouth to try and uh, bite you. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. I yell at it, you're next, Fragger! Bumbles, it's your turn. Okay, so there's there's a lot of snakes in front of me, yeah? Uh, yeah, there's two. They're coming around the west wind at you. The swarm's gonna shoot a bunch of grenades <laughs> down on them. <laughs> Uh, you run towards Spot, zipping up your grapple hand as you do, uh, running towards your grapple hand. It snaps back into your wrist. Uh, and if I have the action left, I'm going to jump into my RCC. Yeah, because it's simple to command. Yeah. Uh, you you get to Spot. Um, you command the drones. 
full-on uh, lethal force, everything you got, Red Leader, you get the message back, of course, Bumbles. And the swarm gets in position above these two snakes as they wrap around ones climbing over the west wind. And uh, you push up against Spot, like kind of taking cover, and you move your mind from the walker that you are inhabiting into your RCC. You are now standing on the grounds of the manor, looking up that sky of like neurons uh, and glowing blue lights. Every empty space in between the neurons is filled with a screen. Uh, that is showing you every angle of this battle from all of your drones and all of your friends. And at, at like a moment's notice, you can enlarge one screen with your will, moving the neurons in the sky, like, you know, as they like move like with muscly uh, tendons uh, to like make a screen bigger and zoom in. Uh, uh, and I sort of just reach into space and pull the lever and shift the whole thing into combat mode. So I'm sitting in my mech cockpit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, the, as you reach up, those little blue lights become a, uh, coalesced into a lever. You pull it down. The ground gives way as the matrix entity uh, that is your RCC looking like the manor slowly transforms into a giant mech bot and you're standing uh, amidst all of these neurons in this, this giant robot battle armor and uh, you watch on the screens as the swarm fires a hail of grenades down on uh, the Mach 6 and the two uh, snake spirits that are climbing over it. Go ahead and roll that attack. Uh, that's six hits. I need you to roll three body and armor tests of the Westwind um, at a minus two and tell me how many hits you get. Yeah, it blows up. Uh, That's 212,000 new yen. I drove twice. Uh, you guys... <laughs> you guys hear as um, the swarm uh, blares out bright lights and sounds, uh, focusing it all at the snakes as they climb over the west wind. There's a... Uh, resounding sound of a shitload of firepower coming from the swarm tearing down on that area and foom, 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 three grenades go flying down they blow up on the snakes one of them just flat out blows up from that the other one gets like blown back part of it being uh, part of it being blown away bursting into astral energy and then the west wind ignites uh it is it is chock full of grenades for its onboard uh weapon systems and the west wind goes up in an, in an explosion starting from the ba the base of it it goes launching up on a column of flame flying up in the air and smashing into a building and like rolling down the side of it um Bumbles, I need your uh, walker to roll a. Uh, I need your walker to roll a body and armor test at a minus two, uh, as the wave of this this chain of explosions rushes and hits spot, kind of rocking it. Not much damage there, but the but the walker is in the blast radius, and as is Dart, but Dart kind of like ducks down, and the and the fires go over him. It seems. And the fires just barely don't reach where Mazashi Mako is planted. Uh, yeah, and Nim, as you are standing outside spot, I need you to also roll a body and armor test at minus two. Uh, you're resisting 12 damage. Uh, so I get nine hits. Okay, uh, the walker takes three damage as it is smacked up against, the, uh, against spot, um, cooking just a little bit. I got eight hits. Eight hits. Nim, you take four physical damage 
physical damage as uh, the flames push against you. You're so focused on etching this uh, formula, you don't see it coming, and uh, and they like burn into your arm. You feel this burning sensation as you get pushed against Spot. Mouse, I need you to roll uh, a dodge test. You are behind pretty good cover, so you're at a plus four to this as uh, you and Yama start getting hit with uh, with gunfire. Um, additionally, you see that some of those six are aiming uh, are aiming towards uh, Mazashi Mako, who uh, uh, is unmoving, stays perfectly still, and D'Artagnan dives in front of her. I'm going to edge this test. Okay. Six. Mouse, you are able to put yourself behind cover pretty well. Uh, the bullet's riddling around you but not hitting you. Um, Yama gets clipped in the shoulder. Just a little bit of blood spurts out. He almost doesn't seem to, like, be bothered by it. Um, and you watch as D'Artagnan puts himself in front of Mazashi Mako, taking the full brunt of... Uh, of uh, of the bullets that are flying his way. Some of them miss. These guys aren't the greatest shots, but two of them hit him in the gut and like seem to knock the wind out of him. And one uh, or shoots him in the arm, uh, not a through and through, but uh, it would it was a shot that was surely going to hit Mizashi. Um, but instead it uh, uh, digs, the, the bullet digs into his bicep and blood shoots out and he grabs the arm, but is still kicking. You guys hear a shout, uh, a, a screeching shout again. Uh, you look over and you see that um, uh, Grundlefug has been pushed and pinned against one of the buildings. It's crumbling, and uh, you see uh, the two front paws of Avadarun digging, uh, digging into his wings. One claw slashes down, cutting into the uh, into the membrane of uh, Grundlefug's wings, uh, ripping and uh, just shredding that wing entirely. Uh, and then the other one squeezes really tight, and uh, Grundlefug seems to shout out in pain uh, as the as the uh, nails dig into his arm. Grundlefug's not looking good, uh, and he lets out like another shout, and then um, uh, kind of bites onto Avadarun's uh, throat. Um, Avadarun kind of like that's where her scales seem to be thickest, so she doesn't seem very phased by it. And then you see this glowing energy in uh, in Grundlefug's mouth as a burst of uh, magical energy goes shooting uh, out of his mouth through Avadarun's throat and she like pushes off of him to jump back and get away from it and like he his teeth rake along uh, along her neck ripping scales from her neck this is the first time she seems truly wounded by uh, by Grundlefug instead of just hurt slightly uh, and she jumps back, her tail whipping uh, uh, and smacking like three cars up into the air, which then seem to float oddly up into the mana storm. Um, you you do all, all see as like it seems like you guys aren't being lifted up, but every inanimate object does seem to be getting raised slightly that isn't just like you guys in your cars, right? Like this this area where you guys are, Seems like gravity's not turning against it, but like the buildings that are crumbling now are starting to be sucked up into the eye of this mana storm. Um, as a crackle of energy happens in the mana storm and a ball of acid comes flying <laughs> down. <laughs> Always. Uh, a ball of acid comes flying down, um, and this ball of acid is going to hit D'Artagnan, um, Yama, Mouse, and Mazashi Mako. Uh, I need you to roll a dodge test. Okay. 
Five. All right, Mouse, you need to resist damage. Armor is at minus eight. You are resisting 11 damage. I will give Mouse 14 counterspelling dice. All right, Mouse, you get to roll 14 extra dice. Oh, man. <laughs> That's so good. I wish you had given some to Dart. Oh, shit. Ten. All right, you take one physical damage, Mouse, uh, as uh, the acid falls down to where you are, and right when it's about to hit you, uh, you see this, like, this distortion of all the water uh, as this energy from Nim pushes away everything, including the acid, shoving it away. It splats up against the wall nearby you, corroding uh, the stonework there. Uh, Yama gets hit with a bunch of acid next to you. He curses and shouts and, uh, like, he was trying to dive for cover, but instead he just falls on his face and starts barely pushing himself up. His entire back, like his suit is almost completely gone as his back is like exposed and like you see the acid bubbling on his uh, on his bony skin. Uh, and you see uh, the as the acid clears, uh, Mizashi Mako uh, on both of her uh, shoulder plates. Um, there are the two runes that are glowing, and again, a little dome of energy around her protects her as the two runes shatter and, uh, and are no longer etched into her armor. And again, she seems completely unfazed, chanting as calmly as she can. Um, and you see D'Artagnan fall to his knees and faceplant in the, uh, uh, in the, the mud, um, acid eating away at his neck, face, and, and body. Is he dead? Uh, he is currently uh, in need of stabilization. Uh, you feel like he might... He's, he's on death's door. There's a screeching sound, Boomer. You're pulling away from this uh, snake that's getting ready to fight you. And uh, you look up, and uh, the snake turns out to be the least of your worries. As Araga comes flying down, his smoky wings cutting into the buildings on either side of the street, he's going straight at you. And I need you to roll a dodge test. All right. I got three. Boomer, the snake nearby you uh, slithers out of the way as the giant great form of Araga flies right at you, headlights beaming onto you. You feel the burn of, radiate, uh, of radiation as he gets closer and closer. He opens up his maw and then becomes small and shrinks into a, a beam of like gaseous form that shoots into your armor, bypassing all of your armor, and you feel him inside your body um, as I need you to resist 24 radiation damage. Uh, I'll pre-edge. Okay. Yeah, I only got seven hits. That pushes you past your overflow, right? 17 yes, damage? by a lot, yes. Okay, are you burning a point of edge to stay alive? Yes. <laughs> uh, you guys see as uh, the form of Araga enters Boomer's armor, and the momentum of Araga's flight lifts Boomer's body up into the air. Um, as he gets about 20 meters up in the air, uh, seeping from every, uh, or seeping out of his body is uh, that black smoke his body limply swirling up in the air, and eventually the black smoke coalesces into the form of Araga. You no longer see Boomer. And Araga flies up into the air and uh, then swoops down over you guys, and out of his like chest 
rolling through the smoke into the into the middle of the uh, into the middle of the intersection. Boomer's limp body just crashes, cracking some of the asphalt. Um, and uh, uh, you see that beyond all explanation, Boomer's not dead. He falls to the ground. He still has a heartbeat, uh, and uh, he he seems uh, he seems still alive. Boomer, when you got hit with that, you flew up in the air. You felt your body cooking from the inside out. All light faded away. All you saw was darkness. And then you felt a hand touch your shoulder. And you lose all consciousness and your body plummets to the ground. Yama gets to his feet, turns, stumbling and smashing into uh, into the wall, scraping his shoulder against it. Nodachi in one hand, he goes sprinting forward in a reckless charge and with two quick swings, takes out four guys, but there's still two around him. And as he finishes his swing, he falls down on one knee and like pushes his fist into the ground to stop himself from completely face planting again. And he looks up somewhat helpless at the, uh, at the two who are pulling back to shoot at him. Mouse, it's your turn. Yama, what are you doing? Go, go get Boomer, he needs our help. And um, I'm going to run up to where Yama is. Sure. And then I'm gonna fork and split my pool to hit four of the electrical towers with the overhead power lines. So hopefully that'll create an electrical ring around most of us. That'll keep the people who are coming at us um, away. Okay. What, so you're like data spiking the... Mm-hmm. All right, roll data spike to try and blow these transformers and get uh, arcs of electric energy around where you and Yama are. Yeah, I was hoping that... Oh, oh, arcs of electricity uh, surrounding the uh, intersection where everyone almost, is. Almost the whole intersection. Sure, yeah. You're going to have to get a lot of net hits to achieve that goal. You might just make a lot of electricity around, but... Hopefully some of the lines drop. That's, go for it. That's like the goal. Okay, I'm going to pre-edge. Okay, go okay. for it. Um, so the first fork, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, five hits. The first one gets seven net hits. The other one gets four net hits. So uh, all the Transformers do, in fact, blow. Um, and uh, arcing power lines start shocking around. Um, uh, you see as uh, your your intentions are met well as the power lines fall across buildings and lamp poles to make this kind of electric current going uh, blocking the the two o'clock, the four o'clock and the six o'clock um, making that kind of semicircle like there's just that's just like basically walking through an electric net. Um, however, where you are, uh, the electricity just happens to shock and electrocute one of the two guys who's pointing at uh, Yama, and he falls down. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, the the same chain reaction doesn't uh, isn't achieved for the other uh, the remainder of the uh, of the perimeter. Uh, those uh, those 
for whatever reason, the way those were data spiked, there's not still energy going to them. The surge kind of popped them. They must be on a different grid than the other ones. So like the like street lights and stuff go out around there. Okay. Um, and as a free action, I deploy glitter. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and you stand next to Yama, who's looking up uh, at this guy, and you make all this electricity happen, and you pop glitter out of your wrist. Um, and then you all see as Araga swoops down directly towards Mazashi Mako, uh, his smoky body thinning out as if to engulf her the same way he engulfed Boomer. Finally, for the first time, Mazashi, uh, uh, Elder Mazashi Mako, uh, without stopping chanting, lifts her head and stands up and looks directly at Araga as he comes shooting down towards her. Uh, he goes into the, his uh, stream of smoke to try and enter her body, and uh, the runes on the front of her armor uh, glow and hit against an or he hits against an invisible barrier, uh, smoke covering her completely. There's now this semi or there's now this dome of smoke where Mazashi Mako's ritual circle is, and uh, it's spinning around, spinning around, spinning around, and then it gets pushed back. And you see, uh, you see Araga regain his giant 40-foot wingspan form of a crane made out of, like, thunderous smog. And uh, he swoops up and looks, a like, like, is pushed back. And the runes on the front of Mako's armor break. And she no longer has any runes on any of her armor. And at that, at that moment, the, the circle that she's standing on begins to glow and the rain starts falling down where she is uh she turns towards mouse and you hear in your head mouse the time is now young one okay i need everyone to roll initiative okay i'm gonna use an edge to blitz okay you get to roll five dice uh mouse what's your initiative 25 bumbles what's your initiative 25 as well uh nim what's your initiative Okay. I'm gonna um, seize the initiative. All right, you spend a point of edge. Your initiative remains at 25, but you do get to go first. Uh, for the record, I'll let you know, that let you go before Eraga. <laughs> that feels important. Yes, it was not wasted. <laughs> um, and you get to go first. Okay. Um. Uh, you look pained at Yama. Yama turns to you and nods. Okay. I'm sorry. And I sprint over to Mizashi Mako. Sure. And do I have the wellspring? She has the wellspring. Uh, she has the wellspring. It's in the center of the uh, ritual circle. Okay. You can run down and grab it. It's starting to glow. Okay. I, I do. Okay. I grab it. You grab it. You hold it. I point it at is Eraga <laughs> is roughly eight feet away from you, hovering oh. above you. His large talons, the size of Spot, rake the ground around you as he looks like he's about to claw at you and Mizashi Mako. Uh, Mako says a couple words. Uh, this chant that she's been saying under her breath gets louder and louder and echoes. And you actually hear an angered roar from uh, Ava Darun. Uh, Nim, as you are sensing her, you feel this rush of fear and frustration. Um, and... Mouse, you're holding this crystal. Mm -hmm. um, I need you to roll uh, willpower times two. 
They do magic. They get four hits. <laughs> eight physical and eight stun damage as your body becomes a conduit for the energy of this crystal. Uh, you feel it start at your feet as the runes glow bright, and then it immediately connects this electric current between your feet and your hands that are holding this crystal. Um, you feel as if your skin is being burned away. You feel as if your soul is being uh, cooked in a furnace. Uh, your eyes and nose bleed. Uh, well, that's no different from normal. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, everyone who's watching sees as cracks appear along uh, Mouse's body, um, and this radiant, bright, pure light starts seeming or starts pouring through the, the uh, through the cracks. Um, Mouse's eyes go bright white, um, and she lets out a scream that echoes. Uh, and there's a burst of energy as all of the rain around you guys freezes. And this beam of concentrated white energy shoots out of this crystal that Mouse is holding and hits Araga dead in the chest. And he gets launched upward, out of sight, into the center of the mana storm, right in the eye of the storm. Um, the water around all of you ignites in radiant white flame. All of those little droplets of water burst into little like sparks of flame as all of the rain stops. It's this cascading effect throughout all of the mana storm. And there's no rain for like a second before the rain pours back up. Um, except for where you're standing, Mouse, it's pouring downward there. And uh, Iraga disappears from sight. Nim, it is your turn. Okay, so from what Grundlethug told me about opening this portal, was it something that Avadrun would have to be then pushed into, or it's something that will draw her in? It will draw her in, and then Grundlefug intends to follow her. So it doesn't matter where I open the portal. It, it, it on, yeah, it's going to appear next to her. You don't really have control of where it appears. You do still have to finish this formula. It's not quite done. Okay. Uh, so if you're going to try and finish the formula and, and activate it, I'm going to need an Arcana roll. And that's complex action? Yep. Three hits. You feel this rush of energy all around you. Something weird had just happened behind you. You didn't quite. You've been focusing. <laughs> you've been focusing really heavily on etching this uh, this formula. You don't know exactly what happened behind you, but you felt this warm, pleasant feeling, which is very out of place in, in with everything else that's happening around you. Uh, but it only lasts for like a second, and then it everything comes back, and you see uh, the last aspect of the formula that is Ava Darun's name, her true name and you etch it into the back of this photograph. And as soon as you do, all of those uh, all of those markings glow in the astral, and there's immediately a link between that photograph uh, and Ava Darun. Um, there's a, a bellowing roar. Uh, buildings start to topple from it. And Ava Darun, uh, you, uh, sensing her, Nim, you get this feeling of pure terror uh, and disbelief um, as all of you see a rip in the fabric of reality appear uh, right above where Ava Darun is. She's currently clawing away at the chest of uh, Grundlefug, who seems almost limp, uh, barely being able to reach up and try to defend himself with like uh, weakened claws. Um, she's 
immediately pulled off of him, latching onto him to try to take her with him for a second and then letting go. He plummets uh, limp to the ground and Avadarun gets sucked upwards into this uh, into this rift. You see as the uh, as the snakes that are around you guys dissipate and a couple people who were running around and saw like this arcing shield of uh, electricity around you guys, uh, their eyes return to normal and the diamonds on their forehead fade away. Uh, you see this rush of energy. The mana storm seems to be dissipating uh, with the departure of Avadarun. She is sucked violently out of sight. You hear her screeching in pain. And then as the mana storm clears, you see this bright yellow light uh, of pure electricity as Eraga, still the size of of a great form spirit but fully restored to that of uh, of the Thunderbird totem comes swooping down and shoots upward into the uh, into the rift um, everyone roll a visual perception those of you who can <laughs> uh, that's two hits okay three hits okay one all right, Nim, you are able to point out, uh, and everyone with Nim's assistance is able to see, riding on the back of Eraga, flying up into the realm of Avadarun, is Kashmir. And for the briefest second, looking through uh, Nim's uh, uh, visual contacts, kind of zoomed in to, to see him, you see him turn back and smile gently at you guys as he disappears up and the rift closes behind him. And everything's clear. The people who were running towards you guys are confused. There's still a crackling electric energy taking up some of the, some of the way where you guys are. Uh, you turn and you see Mizashi Mako kneeling down next to D'Artagnan, her hands glowing. And D'Artagnan's eyes open up. And, uh, and he gasps for air. You look over and you see uh, Yama clutching his like, horribly wounded arm from the acid, um, uh, falling down and like, holding on to it. It looks like almost burnt to the bone. Uh, and what do you guys do? <laughs> is Grundlefug still a dragon? Uh, you look down to the direction where Grundlefug is. You can't quite see where he's at. So you assume probably not a dragon anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's a hospital in the back of my car if anyone needs it. <laughs> yeah. I will remain lady laying on the sidewalk. Yep. Uh yeah, I'll have the I'll have the walker go and start dragging Boomer towards spot. It does so. Uh Boomer, you heal four physical damage as uh the walker drone sticks you in the Valkyrie mod and it goes critical damage detected administering uh, emergency trauma care and uh you get stabbed with like 13 needles <laughs> uh, yeah it pops his helmet off because i don't think he can do much else right and then and then it just all of the needles stab like in a ring around uh around boomer's neck and just this uh a ton of meds get pumped into his system and uh you regain consciousness boomer it's boomer time <laughs> <laughs> oh what the f uh, oh, it's over. Oh, that's nice. I'm going back to sleep. Sure. Wait, is Yama okay? He's not dead. I'm stumbling over to Yama. Uh, yeah, he is unconscious, and you can tell just by looking at him, the arm's gonna go. I cut it off. Sure. Yeah, you can. You can use glitter. I have 
I have three swords. <laughs> Somehow this arm is going to come off. Yeah, uh, it's so decimated by the acid that you're able to cut it off at the shoulder and then use your med kit to cauterize the wound to save Yama's life. Okay. Um, and then I'd like to try and heal him. Uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. Bumbles, uh, we need to we need to go check out Grundlethug. Can you, can you get me over there? Sure. Uh, hop in spot. I'll drive you over there. I jump in spot. Uh, it's rough terrain, but nothing that spot can't handle. You have to dodge around completely fallen buildings, drive through the lobby of an old hotel, and eventually you make it to where you guys saw Grundlethug plummet. So it's driving through Redmond then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just another uh, another day for you, Bumbles. And uh, you pull up to the crater where uh, where Gr- Grundlethug uh, is has reverted back to his metahuman form and uh his you see his eyes are open and his body is like ravaged with claw marks and uh uh he's like his breathing is like shuddered but he's conscious and he's looking up where the rift was uh okay is it enough was was that enough i i <coughs> yeah <clears throat> he like coughs up a little bit of blood and then like starts to raise himself up but can't and then falls back down and like just nods while laying on the ground finally closing his eyes and he goes yes i believe it was enough um he looks at where boomer and the walker are in the back of spot uh trunk still open yeah the trunk dumps the the thing dumps boomer out and the walker goes to grab grundlefog to stick him in the hospital (laughs) and uh uh, as it does grundlefog looks at the walker and looks at boomer and goes your friend he he did it i think if it weren't for him she'd be back mean cash so remember how i said we won boomer badoop uh, Boomer, you get uh, an AR display of the multiple camera angles of everything that transpired after you uh, were uh, nearly killed. And uh, at the moment where the mana storm clears and you see one of the drones like zoom in, you see Kashmir riding on the back of a great form, Araga, zooming up into the realm of Avadarun. Uh, he looks back and smiles, and you remember that gentle hand you felt when you were consumed by Araga. That mother fragger. Full of surprises, isn't he? Even when he's dead? That's one way to put it. I'm going to put this dragon man in the hospital then. <laughs> I like to cast heal on Boomer. Sure, go for it. Four, six. Okay. Oh, also, there was like a Matrix bubble before. Is that gone? Yeah, you have full connection to the Matrix now. All right. So for roleplay purposes, these probably happen sequentially. I do call all of these people at once. Okay. I call the mansion. I call Magnitude. I call Maria Silva. I call Jerry. Because why not? Um, I called Doc. Yeah, and then I'm paying attention here. Okay. (laughs) Boomer, uh, I got six hits. Yay. Uh, Yeah, due to your multi-processing as an AI, uh, Bumbles, you are able to pay attention to all five phone conversations at once while also controlling Spot to drive Nim, Boomer, and Grundlefug back to the rest of the group. Um, Whose conversation do you want to do first? Uh, Bryn Fisher, if he's awake. Uh, He is. Um, and he answers, he goes, what happened? Uh, we won. Everyone's fine. It's okay. Yama lost an arm, but in the grand scheme of things, not that big a deal. Also, 
Grundlefug's a dragon. What? Wait, what? Yeah, like full-on wings and fire breath dragon. Oh, my friend. We know a dragon. That's not a good thing, Bumbles. He's a good dude. He just fought... He fought a minor god for the fate of the world on our side. Oh, my... Uh, what have we gotten ourselves into? Uh, get everyone back safe. Uh, I'll contact Maria and let her know you're coming. Don't bother. <laughs> Meanwhile, whose conversation do you want to do next? Uh, Doc. Okay, Doc also is like, wait... Bumbles? Wait, aren't you on the phone with Bryn right now? Yeah, okay, so you've heard then. Bryn can fill you in. We're all fine. Mouse, how is she? Fine. Hurt. Fine. Alright, well that's the best I can expect. It was crazy. Did you know Grundlefug's a dragon? Wait, what? Uh, you hear, you hear <laughs> that happens at exactly the same time as when Bryn goes, wait, what? <laughs> and, and he's like, seriously? Yeah. Holy fragon. Keep an eye on that one. Okay. Don't know what we're going to frag and do if he decides he doesn't like us anymore. Frag. Oh. Probably not much. He's quite big. <laughs> uh, meanwhile. Uh, magnitude, then. All right. Bumbles! Are you okay? Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm a, little, I'm a little cooked, but yeah, nothing I, I can't heal through. What, what, what about you? How's your team? We're the, all fine. The storm's gone. Yeah, we saved the world. We fought alongside a dragon. Wait, what? Happens at exactly the same time <laughs> as when Bryn and uh, Doc shout it. And he goes, oh, man. Yeah, full on wings and fire breath and everything. Oh, yep. my God, that's fragging cool. Hey, you know, and if you disappear, I know what happened. Exactly. I'm sending you footage now. It's dope. Yes. Hey, <laughs> hey, everyone, come here. Check it out. <laughs> uh, and then Maria. Sure. Uh, Bumbles, what's your, what, what's your situation? We're all fine. We won. The world is safe. How's Boomer? Uh, not dead. Okay, that's great. I, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> he got ate by a spirit and didn't die. Oh, wow. That is impressive. I know, right? Huh. I was hit. Tell her I was hit by a car, too. <laughs> didn't even flinch. It's gonna sound less cool after I told her you got ate by a spirit. <laughs> you can tell her that one. Oh. Sorry, I forgot. A lot has happened. Yeah, we're all fine. You can bring down the barricade. All right. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll try to get my my team in position. Go to these coordinates. You can get through without any questioning. Great. Thanks. And Jerry. <laughs> B- Bumbles. Jerry. Oh, I thought I saw the news. I was that the ghoul princes. That was the ghoul princes. <laughs> they had formed into a super ghoul, Jerry. A super ghoul? What does that even look like? <laughs> it looks like a giant panther with an eel tail. <laughs> what? I, oh, that's gonna be a... That's unbelievable. And Jerry, we fought alongside a dragon. Wait, what? Yeah. That happens at the same time as Bryn, Doc, and Magnitude saying it. <laughs> yeah, Jerry. We know a dragon. Make sure that gets into the books. Oh, I will. Oh, man. This one's going to be a bestseller. I think I found my calling, Bumbles. I'm so happy for you, Jerry. I'm happy that that you survived. Me too. You are still going to, like, be in position to acquire drones, though, yeah? I mean, yeah. Great. All right. Well, be in touch, I guess. Will do. Oh, man. I got to get to work on this new chapter. (laughs) As he hangs up. Once the Valkyrie unit is done with Grundlethug, by the way, I want to cast Heal on him as well. Sure. At go force ahead. eight. Go ahead and cast it. Uh, and I will start regrouping everybody and heading to Silva's coordinates. Sure. 
Um, I got four hits for Yama's physical. Okay. He gasps for air, lets out a groan, looks at his arm, and goes, Oh, frag. <laughs> and I got four for his stun. Okay. Uh, you kind of, as best you can with your tiny, tiny form, help him to his feet. He kind of stands up a little off balance with the lack of his arm, uh, almost falls over, but catches himself. And then he, like, blinks his eyes and goes, These are hell. these are uh, some frag and strong painkillers you got me on, kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts walking the wrong way towards the car. Oh no, this way. No, okay then. <laughs> also, you'll get used to it. It's kind of fu- it's kind of fun. Oh, I don't need another addiction. <laughs> um, uh, he like kind of groans and follows you to where Bumbles is pulling up with Spot. It's going to be a tight fit now that you guys don't have three cars now because Yama's car is totaled as well. Oh, it's totaled. Yeah, the other car uh, totally like. Broke the axles, basically. It, can it be towed? It, yeah, it can actually be towed. It's not totaled in the fact that it could never be fixed. It just is not able to be driven. Right. right so now. the the Mach Six Ash, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tow Yama's car. Okay. The top of Sot breaks out, and the advanced uh, winch. <laughs> it's advanced. Uh, extends and grapples onto Yama's uh, car, pulling it up, and you start dragging this beautiful, beautiful, chromed out, very, very, very damaged sports car, leaking some fluid uh, behind you as all of you pile in its tight fit. Uh, The walker does not pile in. The walker sits in Yama's car. Sure. Uh, The rest of you pile in to uh, spot. uh, I get in the rigger cocoon. Uh, sure, you get in the rigor cocoon, uh, Bumbles, you are the car. Mizashi Mako's kind of sitting on Yama's lap. Yama's already fallen asleep due to the stim- uh, due to the painkillers. Um, uh, Boomer cramped up next to him. Uh, also passed out on, on Yama sleeping. <laughs> Nim in the passenger seat and Grundlefug kind of sitting back in the Valkyrie unit. And Dart wincing in pain. Uh, his body like scarred very badly, but actually the scars seem to be fading as Mizashi does her magic. Um, and he's just kind of like sitting in between the rigor cocoon and the passenger seat. <laughs> um, you guys go driving back towards proper or uh, Seattle proper. That was seven hits for Grundlefug. Cool. Grundlefug's he Grundlefug is pretty well healed. Um, you guys get back to the mansion. You drive by. Maria Silver gives you guys a little salute, as you do. Um, the walker salutes her from the second car. <laughs> she looks confused and shakes her head. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, you guys get back to the manor where uh, Doc and Bryn are waiting for you in the courtyard. Doc shoves past everyone, pulls Mouse out of the rigor cocoon, uh, and immediately starts working on you. Mouse, you heal both uh, both seven stun damage and seven physical damage as Doc gets to work on you. Uh, he's like, let me see your eyes. And he's, like, flashing a shot, uh, light in it. And uh, uh, he, like... You know, administers a bunch of uh, medication, uh, checks your arm to see if it's functioning okay, cleans you up. Uh, meanwhile, like Yama is like limping by him, missing an arm, <laughs> and Doc's just like, "Yeah, go to go to the clinic. You uh, down down and left." And Brin's like, I-, "I can show him. I can show him." And Brin starts leading people towards the clinic. He looks 
a little bit like nervous about Grundlefug, um, <laughs> uh, who actually remains back with the rest of you. Um, uh, but Mizashi Mako, D'Artagnan, and uh, Yama all get led in by Bryn, who then comes back out. Uh, and Doc's finished up on you, uh, Mouse, and now it's all of you guys, Grundlefug and Bryn, standing out in the courtyard. Do I have cool crack scars? Cracks uh, scars? No, no, you don't. Those weird cracks that everyone saw, there doesn't seem to be any physical uh, remnant of them. Okay. Bryn comes back, looks at all of you, looks at Grundlefug, and uh, goes, You guys fragging did it. Yeah, well, fantastic. You say as you walk up in your walker bot, <laughs> <laughs> who looks real bad. It's scorched and acid. It's got it's got scorch marks from the uh, from the explosion. Acid along the chest. The suit's pretty torn, uh, and like there's like a little bit of a spark on one of the one of the like gears uh, of the neck. Um, but you walk up with some confidence, <laughs> and uh, uh, Bryn looks at how torn to shit all of you are, and uh, he goes, "I couldn't ask for a better team." I was hit by a car, then consumed by a spirit. He raises his eyebrows and goes, I assume Bumbles has footage of all of this? I have footage of all of this from about a dozen angles. He starts watching it. Um, uh, oh, also, I will be submitting a form for reimbursement for the Mark 6. <laughs> and uh, Grundlefug goes, I might be able to help with that. And uh, he raises his hand. And, like, you see a little spirit coalesce next to him. And he says a couple things to it in a weird arcane language. And the spirit disappears. And a few seconds later, meanwhile, Bryn's just watching the footage kind of on fast forward. Uh, as the spirit, uh, about 15 to 20 seconds after the spirit disappears, each one of you gets 500,000 new yen dropped into your bank account. <laughs> Hold on. I'm sorry. Did you say 500,000? Yes. Half a million new yen. Well, all right, then. It's- I'm still submitting the form. <laughs> It's it's the least I can do, given what you were willing to sacrifice and giving what or and considering what your lost friend sacrificed. And uh, as he says that, you see Bryn like kind of look a little shocked as he reaches the end of the footage and sees like the cameras zoom in and see um, uh, Kashmir riding Araga up into the rift. And he goes... Holy frag and dreck. And he just doesn't seem to know what to say. Hey, Doc, guess what? I did magic. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, watch the video. Mm-hmm. He starts watching it, and he's just like, Ah, what? Mouse, we need to have a serious talk about what is acceptable for you to be doing on these jobs. Also, I exploded all of those electrical wires. Yeah, that seems more like the kind of things you should be doing, not channeling arcane energy through your body. You could have died. But I didn't. Uh, and, uh, Grundlefug smiles and, um, uh, places a hand on, uh, on Mouse's shoulder proudly and goes, if it weren't for her, if it weren't for all of them, this all would have, uh, this all would have failed. I have no doubt that if it weren't for Crash 3.0, Seattle would fall to the will of the Great Corruptor. We pose as a team. (laughs) Um, as far as um, uh, Denouement goes, uh, Grundlefug does have to get back to the care with Mizashi to uh, uh, to report back to the elders. Um, he even jokes about how he needs to make sure that uh, Seneschal Faust, uh, Ramsey Faust, doesn't get too power power hungry while he's gone. Um, and they uh, 
they leave. Um, but before he does, uh, he and Bryn have a word alone uh, in the study. And then, uh, and then Grundlefug leaves with Masashi Mako, who gives Mouse a big old hug. I hug back. <laughs> and then um, uh, bows to Boomer. I bow back. Bows to Nim. I will also bow back. Looks at the walker that is Bumbles and kind of just pats him on the head. Um, listen, okay. You're not officially a member of the Red Hot Nukes, but you did fight a god in Redmond, so I think it's okay if I teach you this, and I teach you the Red Hot Nukes handshake. <laughs> Elder Mizashi Mako, uh, an elf of 120 years old, protector of Kothan care, and, uh, and next in line uh, for the power of the Kothan crystal, does the Red Hot Nuke handshake with you, and cackles. <laughs> If you ever in Redmond and you see some dwarves on bikes, do that and they'll be cool. I do like it. It's <laughs> it's great. Let's do it again. <laughs> we do it again. <laughs> and then she uh, bows to the robot that is your body. I bow back. And uh, Grundlefug and Mako leave uh, with D'Artagnan, who thanks all of you profusely uh, and is a little weak. Given that he nearly died, but uh, uh, he leaves with them. Um, Yama is under critical care under Doc as he begins to craft him a cyber arm. Um, and uh, yeah, what do you guys? Uh, what do you guys want to do in the immediate future before we end this campaign? I want to go find Mouse. Okay, you do easily enough. Hey, Mouse, can you help me with something? Sure. I've never been great with money, like large sums of it, not really my thing. Um, it seems like something that we could invest. And I'd like you to help me invest it and start a charity in my mother's name with the proceeds. Oh, okay. Uh, I know you're good with like numbers and the matrix and businesses and like you could make a shell corporation that has this charity and oh yeah make I it legitimate make a shell corporation. you know like well kind mm -hmm. of legitimate more legitimate than shadow running than what we do yeah I can at least make a shell corporation and hide all your money in a bunch of different places I don't want to hide it I just want to invest it and use the proceeds to fund a charity okay can I read about it. For a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you want to call it? The L'Oreal Silverstein Foundation. I think simple is good. Okay. That makes things easy. For the next, like, m few months, Nim, you, uh, while Mouse puts together all of the financial, like, trickery to make it work, you actually hire... Uh, with probably some help from Bryn. I interview candidates multiple times, but as different people, so they think it's like a secondary interview. <laughs> yeah, every time it's just you. Uh, and it is a long and arduous process, but you uh, you even managed to invest in getting a, uh, a headquarters in uh, Renton, uh, not too far from Redmond, uh, within view of where the fight went down. Uh, just in, you know, in the middle of the night on a clear night, you can see the glow of glow city off in the distance from, uh, your office, which you occasionally can go to <laughs> whenever you feel like it. They do reserve an office for you. Um, so that's that. Anyone else want to achieve anything? Uh, I'm going to check on Yama after his surgery. Yeah. The surgery takes a couple weeks. 
Um, uh, Yama's real badly beat, um, but Doc manages to craft a sidearm for him. And you and Yama go out for drinks, and he wants to arm wrestle you with his new arm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not going to end well, but I accept. Uh, So go ahead and roll body and strength for me. Can I edge it? (laughs) If you want to, yeah, go for it. Eight. Yama got 11. Uh, So he just, bam, smacks your arm down into the table, actually cracking the table. And uh, he raises his mechanical arm, like kind of like flexes the fingers a little bit and goes, I don't know if I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys have drinks and tell a bunch of Yakuza members about your your exploits. Damn right. Uh, Also, Yama. Yes. Someone else I need you to tell about my exploits. Sure. And if I uh, invite her out? <laughs> yes. I mean, here at the Yakuza bar, we, uh, uh, the Yakuza owns this bar. I can get you free drinks, for, or I can get free drinks for your friend. Well, here's the thing. Uh, maybe we shouldn't do it here. We'll do it another time. Now that I think about it, it's kind of a dumb idea. <laughs> Sure. Where would you like to go? Not a Yakuza bar. Spirits and spirits. (laughs) (laughs) Or the Dragon's Den. Let's go to the Dragon's Den. Ah, the Dragon's Den. Good. I've uh, I've heard of it. Good musical venue. Uh, And you go to the Dragon's Den with Yama and Maria. Maria knows who Yama is. She has a profile on him in her in her desk. And uh, uh, she looks a little like disconcerted, uh, disconcerted and like kind of tells you like in the future, if we're going to meet with a Yakuza boss, I might need to wear a disguise. (laughs) What? Yakuza boss? That's just crazy. (laughs) Right. I'm a very good detective, Boomer. (laughs) And she smiles uh, and then um, reaches over you and says to the like reaches over your shoulder kind of like. Uh, flagging the bartender and goes, we're going to need three uh, three more drinks over here. And then she gives you a kiss on the cheek. Oh. Anyone else? Uh, anything? Do you have anything? I don't have any. I fix Yama's car. Sure. Yeah, you, you do that easily enough. Uh, I have a very hard time parting with it when he leaves with it. <laughs> it's beautiful. You take good care of her. Yama drops off uh, Boomer. You hand him the keys to his uh, his uh, his fully fixed sports car. He looks at it, the chrome sheen plating perfect, uh, and he nods and uh, says, for your sacrifice, and gives you the keys to the car. Uh, uh, uh. The walk- I, like, bring the walker out to shake his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Yama. I, I will protect it with my life. I imagine so. Uh, I do want to just just check in with Bryn, just sort of generally. <laughs> hey, how you doing? I'm. It's weird. I, I I'm not sure where to go from here. I'm sure something will come up and we'll save the world again. Honestly, I don't know if I can go through that again. We're pretty good at it. Yeah, we're uh, two for two. Not many people are two for two. Yeah, Grundlefug made me an offer. Oh? Yeah, he, he wanted to to have Crash 3.0 be on call for any other 
threat should another unraveler appear or anything along those lines. I told him I'd have to think about it. I don't, I don't know if the team's ready to commit to being on call to save the world like that. Well, um, I'll say this. I only sleep three hours a night, so I've got to fill 21 hours of stuff. I could save the world. <laughs> he kind of like smiles, grins, and he looks over at like a portrait of like Whitmore and he goes, ah, yeah, I guess, I guess that's, uh, that's our new mission statement. And, uh, he gives a call to Grundlebug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we're both sort of, you know, sitting there. There's no one in the house. Do you want to have crazy matrix sex? Do I? (laughs) (laughs) And you guys have sex in every corner of the host of the mansion. (laughs) It's weird. You can change your icons. You all put it. You both put it in hot sim. Obviously. (laughs) I only run in hot sim. It's gross. (laughs) It's love. Uh, Mouse. Eventually, you get uh, some messages from D'Artagnan and Echo. Uh, they have a line on Hamada Kenji. Really? Uh, the CEO of Evo, uh, who was in charge of the black site. Um, and they're, uh, they're making uh, steps to eventually have him in their crosshairs. And uh, they invite you and Crash 3.0. Oh, they invite both you and Crash 3.0 to join in. Interesting. I am very interested in that. Okay, they keep, they say they'll keep you posted. Good. Um, also, after like kind of all this is done, Bryn does uh, surprise all of you uh, with uh, tickets to Egypt. Uh, you guys are going to go on vacation for a couple months. Bryn's like, I don't remember the last time I took a break. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... Maybe this one merits taking a, a couple months off. Egypt is supposed to be really nice, uh, as long as you stay to the proper areas. Um, and surely we won't run into any trouble there. Well, don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Sorry, you can cut that. <laughs> he like, he laughs. No, it's staying in. Uh, he lets out a laugh and goes, uh, so uh, we leave at the end of next week. Everyone pack your things. We're going to go to Egypt. They're pretty nice to technomancers around there, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. Sounds so, great. Yeah. Uh, think there's room for uh one more oh yeah i already uh sent uh I, I already sent an invitation to maria i also may have hacked lone star and cleared her for two months of leave paid leave you don't think she's mine you. do you i love you brent <laughs> his eyes flashed to nim i'm just sitting there with a shitty shit eating grin on my face well, let's all get on a plane together for 12 hours. <laughs> I'm flying. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we'll end this campaign. Welcome to the Essential NBC's post-game chatter for Series 5. Uh, we have just finished recording the finale to series five, and this is the part where we sit down and talk about the campaign as a whole. We talk about, 
uh, the system Shadowrun, and pretty much just anything that's you know that we feel like chatting about um, before we then move on to the second phase where we answer questions from you, the listeners. Um, so really quick, just to make sure everyone is aware, uh, we've been referring to each other in char- uh, as each other's characters. Maybe some of us are using voices. Let's really quick go around the table and introduce ourselves in our normal speaking voice So and who we all played that way, uh, the listeners can keep track of who's saying what. I'm obviously Tommy. I was the game master. I talk like this most of the time, anyways. Hey, I'm Bree. Um, I played Nim, and I probably sound pretty similar. I'm Dan. I was Bumbles. I sound different. <laughs> I'm Addie, and I played Mouse. And I'm Covert. I played Booma. So. Uh, just to start it off, uh, does anyone have anything that they're itching to talk about? Anything about the campaign uh, that they liked, disliked, uh, or anything new they've learned about Shadowrun? Uh, anyone want to uh, throw something out there? The finale was so cool. <laughs> kaiju fight. Yeah, kaiju fight in the background. That was <laughs> that was very fun. <laughs> uh, I will say I learned a lot about spellcasting in Shadowrun because before this uh, we had played some home games and I'd mostly done like Street Sammies because um, usually I'm kind of tanky and I'd, I'd played like one mage once I think uh, so that was definitely a challenge just like kind of getting used to that and feeling out like what force I should be casting spells at and uh, how to deal with terrain and stuff like that. Yeah, honestly, you you picked it up pretty quick. Uh, I've seen a lot of other people like play mages and like struggle with like the little weird tricks you can do with choosing a force to be one thing, but like using reagents to set it differently. Uh, you picked up on all those advanced like spellcasting uh, uh, tricks pretty quickly, and uh, uh, I I think it worked out heavily in your guys's favor. I mean, I didn't realize agony was such an effective spell. <laughs> I'm really glad I chose it now. Yeah. I learned all the AI rules. They're crazy. (laughs) Yeah, you know, a long time ago when Data Trails came out, I told myself right off the bat, fuck AIs, that's dumb, I'm not going to let a player play an AI. And I guess we should address this. And yeah, uh, this feels like a good place to talk about this now. Yeah, and, and honestly, uh, I imagine uh, uh, that some of the questions from the listeners may uh, may address this. Um, the idea of AI bumbles uh, came to me when I wrote out the finale for Series 2. I realized that I was going to give them a couple different options for how they could try and stop this and stop Zurich Orbital from crashing in and destroying Seattle. I was like, okay, they can roll a bunch of crazy hard tests, or I'll give Dan the option to sacrifice himself and guarantee that everything goes fine. Um, and my, my thought process for that was because uh, uh, Dan had already had Bumbles willing to kill himself. He like made a bo- the bomb belt uh, to take out Hellion and blow himself up if, if, uh, if the opportunity arose. And like that was something that we had talked about out of game quite a bit by that point. Yeah, and so like it felt like a, a good character development for Bumbles to be willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good. And I liked that idea, so I was like, I'm going to give you that opportunity. And then Mouse was like, I think we can pull this off. And you're like, I bet we can! <laughs> And then uh, you guys succeeded on all the rolls and did it without Bumbles having to die. And then I let slip to Dan that if he had done that, I was thinking since he was attached to Zeric Orbital, Zeric Orbital is the home of God. If we ever returned to Shadowrun, he would come back as an AI. And my immediate response was, well, Jesus, Tommy, tell me and I'll do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
we were always like, yeah, maybe one day another opportunity will arise where Bumbles is plugged into a whole lot of electronics and then uh, dies, and then we can bring him back as an AI. And I couldn't resist it uh, when I created that that problem in um, uh, in Project Zoria. I was like, hey, if Bumbles jumps in the chair. We're going to AI Bumbles, and then I had to learn all those rules that I never thought I would have to learn. So that was that was uh, uh, interesting. Um, balancing in general uh, at this power level of Shadowrun has been particularly challenging to me. Um, I keep thinking, oh man, I just put this together. They're definitely going to die. And then like maybe you guys walk away with like no one actually taking any damage. And I'm like, well, okay then. Uh, I ramped it up quite hard there at the end of this campaign. Man, those glow rats yeah, couldn't have thrown anything harder at us. <laughs> glow rats, that was hilarious how difficult they were. They were. I was just thumbing through the source book Howling Shadows for like weird irradiated things that would like be subterranean. And I, and I saw glow rats. I'm like, those are fucking creepy let's do it and i'm like they're not very strong it'll be fine yeah with the with the upped stakes it took me a long time to realize that like things weren't necessarily going to kill us um even though they were like would have absolutely killed us last series um and so like i spent pretty much all series like just stressing out whenever we were playing like oh no what do i do uh, and it was really fun but also like very very stressful yeah i think the phrase i heard most from addy in this season like more than anything else more than like i hack it i get marks on it i want to own that was we're gonna die <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep. good i'm glad i was able to put you guys on edge enough because it was really hard for me to like to think of ways to combat how good you guys were at everything that you did um though you know the more i think about it i've made boomer burn edge twice now so that feels like a personal accomplishment <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 24 damage, no armor. <laughs> yep, radiation is fucking rough. <laughs> you know, radiation's got nothing on acid, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nim should definitely fo uh, get a phobia of acid. Oh, she's got one. But uh, I do want to get in. Uh, Addy and I get to do this every week with post-game chatter. Um, but I want to ask, you know, uh, the players as a whole, um, what was your favorite moment... Uh, during either the campaign or the past couple episodes at any point. Uh, what was your, your favorite part? Can I say two? Yeah, go for it. So my favorite part, like not for Nim, but my favorite part in general was I did not edge a role to convince Bryn to, you know, not destroy that, not wipe the data chip, mm -hmm. which resulted in Bumble in, you know, Bryn saying, this is what Bumbles would want. And Bumbles going, what wait what <laughs> which was amazing yeah that was like great. the best interruption ever um <laughs> so i would say that that was probably my favorite moment of the series and then my favorite moment for nim was actually off of one of the pranks um when she tells boomer that it was her uh pulling the brint stunt and boomer says oh i'm not gonna stop saying it um, just to try to get her in trouble. We never had this conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I also have two. Sure. <laughs> the boomer involved one was definitely the not just not just any one segment of the prank, just like the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I just thought that was so funny. And my non boomer moment, 
I really loved the whole chaos of the last kind of battle uh, in this past episode. But I also was so happy when Nim, you know, went from fuck you guys. It's all about, you know, I'm looking up for myself to, yeah, we're a team. <laughs> and I don't know. I just thought that was a really cool character development. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty cool to see her learn how to work with people, uh, after being on her own for like six years. Yeah. For like six years. I have three. There's okay. two that are like real favorite moments. And then one that's like a bittersweet memory now. Okay. Um, the, the bittersweet memory was mouse hitting her, her distress beacon. And getting to hop into the West Wind, the Mach 6, and drive it real good. The only time in the campaign that it mattered. <laughs> that car was 212,000 new yen that I drove twice. <laughs> and then you blew it up at the end to kill some spirits. Yeah. Um, and then I think my, my favorite Bumbles moment was... Uh, uh, about to get into the PAB and red leader is like, I think I can help. And I had this moment of like, I kind of know what's happening here. I think I might die. Would Bumbles go to his death? Wait, no. Bumbles trusts red leader implicitly. If red leader says he can help, he can help. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I get in the chair. I do everything red leader says. He said he could help. And then my complete favorite moment of the entire thing is in, uh, I think it's 19 or maybe 20 when we're calling everybody. Because it's this really fun callback to the end of the last campaign where everybody called somebody and our calls last season were, we're going to go do this crazy thing. We might die. I wanted to say goodbye. Like, you know, I love you or I don't care about like, I don't need you anymore. Right. Like, I'm right. Over my daddy issue, whatever. And this time we were like, we're going to go do this thing. It's crazy. If you want to help meet us here, if you don't get out, we're going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess your guys' confidence level did go up quite a bit. <laughs> Addy, uh, I guess you and I can do our favorite moments from the past couple episodes. Yeah, we actually uh, tend to not get to do the last episode. Uh, my favorite mouse moment is actually um, very similar to Dan's bittersweet one. Uh, and it's when mouse hits that button on her ring, which I never intended for Mouse. I intended it for everyone else. Because I was like, when is Mouse going to get kidnapped? She doesn't listen. Like, she doesn't do crazy things like that. Um, but it not uh, not because of story or anything, but that moment where I had asked Tommy, like, a month and a half before if I could make those. And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever, cool. And he had forgotten and the look on his face when he was like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Completely, completely unprepared for, for that. And I was like, Echo, get the fuck out of there. Bumbles is coming so fast. <laughs> she had to spend a bunch of edge not to get stopped by Mouse while she climbed onto that helicopter. Uh, so that was my favorite Mouse moment of the series. Um, though she did magic, and that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then my favorite moment from the last episode, uh, I don't think it's a single moment. I think it's kind of like that like high level of stress that was happening. Like, Grundlefug is losing, you know, and then like Mizashi's getting like, you know, breath weaponed and like... <laughs> 
And I was so stressed out the whole time, like that having that tension of like, I have to do this, but I also have to do this, but I also have to do this uh, while I was decking and like hating that I was not just like running around like stim patching everybody. <laughs> um, but that like high stress level of, uh, you know, like a, a good kind of anxiety was, was definitely my favorite moment. Just like the whole mood. Uh, fair enough. Um, before I get to my favorite moment, just because of what you just said, I do want to give a shout out to Dan for for doing that uh, lucky duck uh, spend to edge and make sure an attack doesn't just flat out fails against somebody. Fun fact, that came from me searching for interrupt actions to see if there was a way that I could jump out of the drone I was in before someone killed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I didn't even think about it when uh, Araga did that noxious breath attack. But fuck, if Nim was in that... She would have went down, and then I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty sure she couldn't have you know, like rolled body and willpower enough to make herself not just get downed by that, and that like interrupts her ascensing and her arcana, and it just would have been real bad. Yeah, I. So you were like, I need you to roll a dodge, and I looked over Bree, and I saw you picked up like eight dice, and I was like, oh, uh, well, let's. Maybe it'll be really good, eight dice. And then I think you rolled four. Well, for what it's worth, I did roll four, which is Was better than I had been rolling. Statistically average on, like, uh, <laughs> statistically better than average on eight dice. Yeah, and like I don't have a lot of body, so like me dodging is really bad. I shouldn't be <laughs> in places where I'm dodging. So like I rolled eight dice, which was pretty good, and then I got four. I, I was pretty proud of myself. But... And then I hear Tommy pick up his handful of dice, <laughs> and I'm like, well. I'm not very effective this fight. Mouse needs to live so she can use the stone to kill the bird. Nim needs to live so everyone can live. I don't need this two-edge. I'll hide in my RCC. <laughs> yeah, that was that was clutch. Um, but as far as favorite moments go from the, uh, uh, from the last session, uh, I definitely got to say, uh, uh, not like from a malicious standpoint or anything, but it's when uh, Boomer... Uh, got or took so much damage that he had to burn edge uh to survive um because that's always a challenging thing as a gm uh to narrate exactly why something doesn't kill somebody because uh, if you if you burn edge, it's supposed to be like through some miracle, the thing that should have killed you didn't. And, you know, we, we had it happen a long time ago when they got sniped and it was like, cool. Yeah, they didn't hit any vital organs. They just like downed you. Sure. Um, but in this particular instance, I'm like, you're getting fucking engulfed by a great form spirit. It's going to be really brutal and deadly. How the fuck do you live through that? And halfway through narrating it, I just I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I and then it hit me and I was like, I can hint at what's going to happen later when Araga gets hit with this crystal. And so I was like, just another cool thing or this is an opportunity just to show another cool thing that Kashmir does uh, to like in a way kind of like save the day. And it's like Boomer was going to die. He's engulfed and burning up with radiation. He should die. And then this very gentle, familiar hand like touches his shoulder uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's, it's Kashmir. He's still there. He's still fighting and, uh, he, he saves Boomer. And, uh, I was just really happy with that moment just narratively and, uh, and how it just kind of like came out organically without me really planning it. Um, it wasn't something that I had, I had thought of until right at that moment when it came out of my mouth. I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> so I think that was my favorite moment. Also, and it was cool. The campaign is Star Wars. Hear me out. Cashmere's <laughs> Anakin. And in the final fight, 
we redeem him. And he throws the great corruptor down the pit and <laughs> follows him after. <laughs> I will say it was pretty jarring to not have Kashmir be part of the big bad. We spent like all the downtime in, in, in between like session zero, session what, like 18 or 19, like. Being like, how are we going to kill Kashmir? He's so powerful. I have a sniper. We're never going to get that close. I'll stab him with this. Yeah. And like, most of the out of game <laughs> chatter was trying to plot ways to kill Kashmir. And I just had to bite my fucking tongue because from episode one of this campaign, before, before even episode zero of this campaign, I knew what was going to happen with Kashmir in regards to the great corruptor. <laughs> yeah. And it was very, it was kind of jarring for me to be like, you know, like everyone's like, Screw Kashmir, we're gonna kill him. And then, like, oh, wait, he's actually like, he made a bad choice, but he's not so bad. Okay, cool. Just kidding. I don't feel guilty at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, I think that's enough chatter. Uh, we should uh, move forward and answer some questions from the listeners. This may be slightly jarring for you listeners uh, because we are actually recording the f- this first half of post game chatter. Uh, long before we record the second half where we collect and read your questions. And during that time frame, Dan is going to leave Chicago uh, and he will have to be remote. So we're going to pause here for a second and Dan is going to teleport far, far away and get on Skype. Movie magic. Okay, here we go. Um, we had a very popular question uh, sent in to us in three different variations, uh, specifically for Brie. So we're going to start with that one. Um, I'll read all of them, and then you can decide how you want to answer them. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so Gordon asked, how was it slotting into an already established team on the podcast? And Nicole asked, specifically, was it hard to come into the game in the middle of the story? And then Jim asked, uh, how did it feel joining a campaign that didn't have just an established story and characters, but also an established audience? Um, What was the onboarding process for you as a new cast member? So jumping into a team, jumping into a story, jumping into an audience, and how did you get on board? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so it, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Um, it sounds like it's a big deal. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, I've played with Tommy and Addie and Dan and, and covert all a fair amount. And, um, the really nice thing is that when, well, there, there are kind of two parts to it, which is when I first was going to come on the podcast, Tommy was like, oh man, you need to catch up, make sure you listen to all of, of series two. And I was like, <laughs> okay, like 42 hours of podcast, uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And it took me like four days, like something crazily create a, a crazy small amount of time because it was just so entertaining to listen to. Um, and so it was really fresh for me coming on board. Uh, and then also, um, when I created Nim with Tommy, we were kind of trying to figure out who she was. And I was like, mm, I don't know, you know, like, okay, I know she's a mage, but like, where did she come from? What's her motivation? And, uh, I think it was Addie who was like, Oh man, what, what if she's related to Whitmore? And, um, so that 
having that like solid tie-in of like a really strong reason to be there and be a part of the story um, really made her not feel like an outsider. I think it would have been a lot harder if she was just like a random shadow runner that was trying to fit into this group. But she really kind of felt like she belonged there because, you know, the, the Whitmore Manor was her home. So, yeah, that really, I think, worked out very well. As far as uh, fitting into a, an audience, um, so I'm more of a behind-the-scenes kind of person, usually. <laughs> <laughs> I have worked in theater, but it's all been behind-the-scenes. And so, I, sorry, guys, I really tried not to think about you so that I didn't get really <laughs> nervous and feel really awkward. Um, <laughs> it's the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I just kind of played it like I, I tried to be as true to Nim as possible and really feel like I was in the world while I was doing it. And you kicked ass at it. Good job. <laughs> Tom has a few questions for us. Uh, first off, good name. Uh, second, <laughs> he wants, he said, uh, Tommy, you mentioned that you suggested the Bumbles as AI concept to Dan. How far in advance had you come up with that idea? And did you have any contingency plans for the other players too? Well, the first half of that question, we already addressed uh, uh, about how the idea first came into be uh, in the very, uh, at the last finale for the last series of Shadowrun. Uh, however, for the contingency plans for the other players no not really they i don't know what would have happened if they died i mean we we've talked about it before in words with the gm uh, about how uh when players die it's a good idea to have some like idea of how you can keep those uh players in you know so like they would probably depending on when it happened in the series they'd probably end up picking up some of the npcs so as not to introduce a new character to the story near the end and, you know we we had silva we had Bryn, and we had doc that's three people right there that could just jump in and help out and ghoul Welby. oh and ghoul Welby. i mean he's adolescent at this point <laughs> For his, Tom's second question, uh, this is for the rest of the cast. Had you thought about what you might want to do if your character died, and did that change after Bumbles died? Be a mage. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, having built out Mouse's whole life and everything, I actually had two built-in options. Um, one is be Echo. Uh, depending on where we were in the story. Um, and then the other thing is that Mouse has this uh, never on screen sister, Sierra, uh, who has like the whole growth spurt gene thing going on. So uh, also her, but she was going to be like a Sammy or something, something super cool, non hacky, because there's no like there's no going back to hacking after you're as good as Mouse. <laughs> Can't take that away. Yama. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds really cocky, but I at no point up until episode 19 thought I was going to die because I just really trusted my team. And, I, you know, like even through all the acid, I was like, yeah, they got me like someone. Someone will patch me up. It'll be OK. Uh, and then going into episode 20, I was like, man, we have to open this portal and someone has to go through like I'm going through. I'm dead. Like, this is it. You know, and I know we talked about the phone calls, but like I actually was. Nim was saying her goodbyes because I was like, oh, she's she's going through the portal and she's not coming back. <laughs> Um, but that was a much bigger task than Nim could have possibly done. So thank God for Cashmere. <laughs> what about you, Dan? I guess my backup plan was somehow become magic. <laughs> if I die and the AI thing doesn't work out. Tom's third question is, in general, did anyone play more cautiously after Bumbles died? Apparently Nim didn't. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> 
Nope. Nope, but I couldn't have played any more cautiously because I had already decided by episode like three that Mouse was going to die. <laughs> so I was already like, I'm going to just stay right here in the back. I'm going to live in the Valkyrie unit. <laughs> also, there was no way for us to accomplish what we did cautiously. That's true. Driving, There's nothing cautious about driving headfirst into a mana storm to stop an astral gateway from opening. Yeah. And plus, we had already blown ourselves up under a major metropolitan airport. So, I mean, after that, <laughs> I guess there's really no, no caution. Tom's fourth question, uh, he says... I don't know if I missed this, but was there any reason why Kashmir was written out as a main character? I'm assuming it was just scheduling issues, but wasn't sure if anything else played a role in that decision. Uh, yeah, it was mostly just scheduling issues. Um, uh, that is something that can sometimes hinder our who we get to pick for our cast. Uh, Roman just wasn't available during the dates that we needed to record uh, the next series of Shadowrun. Um, and we talked a little bit about like maybe having him in for a little while and then dropping him out and bringing someone else in. And, uh, he and I talked about like the various options. And the one thing I, I mentioned to him was like, you know, I have a pretty good idea on what, uh, what's going on with Kashmir. Uh, and, uh, he decided he thought that, uh, that option sounded like best and most interesting for Kashmir's story. And so we went with that. Yeah. We may see Roman again, just not for, uh, for Kashmir. Kashmir's uh, on his own now. <laughs> Our next question is um, from a SoundCloud user, Midechi, um, about episode 16, In Memoriam. Did this episode involve a resonance run? <laughs> um, yes and no. Uh, so I definitely borrowed a lot from Resonance Realms and Deep Realms, which are both uh, like interesting things you can do with Matrix-based sessions uh, that exist in the uh, source book data trails. Uh, the problem with a Deep Run is your device determines a lot of your... Um, stats. And since an AI isn't a device, he doesn't have like an attack rate, a sleaze rating, a d firewall rating. And so then I was like, oh, wait, that doesn't work. But then in the Resonance Realms rules, there's stuff for how a Technomancer's mental stats can become other stats in a Resonance Realm. So I stole that and, and applied it so that altogether Dan was able to do things somewhat like a Technomancer would do in a Resonance Realm, but also somewhat how a hacker would do in a Deep Run. And that was how I kind of like Frankensteined that set of rules. <laughs> you know, I talked to Dan about it ahead of time and was like, this is how this is how the world works in your little mind palace. And we'll go through that and that will be like you becoming an AI. Uh, hopefully it was fun to in listen to. It definitely was a departure from rules as written Shadowrun uh, in a very big way, but uh, it was, uh, it felt like a narrative thing that needed to happen. He, he couldn't just become an AI like it was nothing. There needed to be an experience involved in my opinion. So yes and no seems like a very apt answer. Yes. <laughs> um... <laughs> So uh, I think that this next comment uh, is for you from Steven. First off, you killed Bumbles, you monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else does Steven have to say? I want to hear the rest. Second, uh, I have to imagine that there was at least one player becoming an e-ghost as a backup plan somewhere. Was it premeditated by Dan or did anyone else have their sights pointed towards that as a possibility? 
Okay, well, we did kind of address how uh, AI bumbles came to be uh, as a concept and then as a reality. Um, I definitely didn't have the idea of anyone else becoming an e-ghost. It was just specifically for Dan. Um, The only other person it would really work for is maybe Mouse, but like... Mouse has enough interesting things going on with her being a clone that I, I don't think I would need to make her story go all e-ghosty. If I had known it was a race to the first one dead, I wouldn't have been so careful. <laughs> no, no, you definitely would have ended up like having to play Sierra or Echo or Doc or something. <laughs> uh, all right. So we have a few questions from Gordon. Uh, Gordon, oh, I'm sorry, Gordon. <laughs> Gordon's first question is uh, for Bree Covert and Dan. It's, as always, we hear Addy and Tommy's favorite moments on Words with the GM. What are your favorite moments from the campaign? Well, we already did that. Thanks, Gordon. You ask us that every year, and I guess I, I just kind of jumped to the gun and asked everybody before we got to your question. Uh, ask again next year. I'll, I'll wait for you. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, for number two, uh, this is for everybody. Bumbles' death lent itself to a situation where his character could continue on. Uh, in words with the GM, Tommy and Addy discussed the possibility of continuing an NPC should something happen to a PC. If that were to happen, which NPC would you choose to play and why? Um, so we kind of already did that, especially for for Mouse and Boomer. So I guess uh, for for Bree, if you had to play, if you did die despite your best interests, <laughs> which NPC do you think you'd want to pick up? If I got caught in a vat of acid. Yes, that would be the only way. way. Yeah. <laughs> the way to kill Nim. <laughs> I mean, the easy answer is Bryn, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's the right answer. Because <laughs> um, I don't think I could do Bryn justice, you know, and um, playing another character in that kind of tortured family line um, <laughs> isn't necessarily what I need to do. Like Batman myself again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Um, you should play Mizashi Mako. Oh, man. She's super dope. <laughs> She's the coolest. She was. She was very dope. Yeah. Maria Silva's cool, too. Uh, all right. Number three from Gordon. This is for me specifically. Uh, Tommy, is there, any, uh, is there anything from the podcast that you have borrowed from other campaigns you've played in or run other than the essential NPCs like Grundolfa, Glockham, and Grep, etc.? Yes, actually. Uh, I remember when I read this question when you submitted it, I was like, no, not really. I don't think. And then I remember and then it hit me. Yeah, this this campaign actually borrowed very heavily from a little like or three session mini campaign I did uh, for some friends for Shadowrun uh, where there was an evil spirit that was opening an astral gateway in Glow City and they had to work to stop it. Now, the, the, the giant spirit didn't come out. They stopped the ritual by, like, killing the possessed person who was doing it. Uh, but I definitely, like, near the end of this campaign, I was like, am I just going to do that again? I think I'm going to do that again. <laughs> it was really cool last time. I'm definitely going to do Glow City again. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I definitely borrowed from that. Otherwise, Other than that, though, I don't think... Uh, I think I've tried very hard to have original content just so that also my friends who listen to the podcast uh, don't go, oh, I remember when he did this. Uh, f- uh, number four from Gordon is, Tommy, what, is your, or what were your biggest challenges as a GM for this series? Honestly, I, I think it, the, the hardest part for this series of Shadowrun was trying to figure out like how all of this really tied together. I left... I left this open-ended 
at the end of the last series because I thought it was cool and mysterious and I wasn't sure if we were ever going to actually come back. Uh, and then when it, when I was confronted with the reality that I had to make this story complete and make sense, uh, it took a lot of work on my part to try and find things that would make the story make sense and feel complete and also didn't just break the rules of the world of Shadowrun. I was like, okay, obviously I can just rip a giant spirit out, but like, what are the rules for that? Because maybe I want to make sure like I follow all the proper steps and I do justice to the source material. So that was actually the hardest part. Uh, and then the final question from Gordon is for everybody. Now that we have revisited the sixth world in Shadowrun, which of the previously played systems would you like to return to yourselves? D&D. Oh, yeah? Missing your band cards? Yes. I think my answer is also D&D, despite not having been in that season. Uh, if only because I never get to play a D&D character that got to the level you guys got to in a campaign that was as well-crafted as that one. Um, and, like, 5th edition is kind of my first... RPG love and I really like that system and don't get to play it very often. He said your campaign was well crafted, Addy. You're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I would probably also have to say D D, mostly because I know what happens next. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I don't want to be a broken record or anything, but as far as the previous series, like I th I miss playing Oberon and I miss playing Andalith, but I think I'm, I'm happy with like Andal Andalith's story being like going out into the stars at the end there. Uh, whereas like Oberon still has a whole lot left in his story. He has a lot of resolution waiting to happen. I mean, he's still got to deal with like Hearsome and find out what that's all about. I think there's still a lot of momentum and, and uh, uh, think uh, like plot threads to explore for Oberon. So I, I, I gotta say D and D as well. We have the next question is from Adrian. Um, I'm constantly impressed by the voices of the cast and even more by the quick, consistent changes between voices of your GM, whether Tommy or Addy. How do you practice this? Do you have any recommended resources? Do, do you want to take this, Addy? First off, I want to say, like, I'm, I'm very flattered by even being put in, like, the same category as Addy as far as voice work goes. She's way better at it than I am. Um, so they say that you have to put in like, I don't know, it's like 5,000 hours or 10,000 hours, a million hours, uh, into something before you can be an expert. Um, and really the only way to do that with voice work is to talk to yourself. So, um, I walk around the house when I'm cleaning or cooking or like playing video games and trolling people. <laughs> <laughs> I am doing it in all kinds of different voices. Um, and uh, the best tip and trick for any voice work or really acting in general is just giving yourself the permission to actually do it. Because um, that's the thing. The It's easy to be embarrassed putting yourself out there in a performance and like nervous that people won't think it's good or whatever. Um, and at least for me, it's just like, well, be unafraid. Yeah, don't be afraid to talk to yourself a lot. I do that whenever I decide how I want a character to sound. Maybe even create a scene in my head uh, and like kind of play through my character's half of that, you know, the responses that he might say. I just do the same thing. I just walk around, talk to myself like, hey, I think I want my character to sound like this. 
I'm going to practice it. Or if I'm talking to the cats. Or just, <laughs> hey, Covert, can, Cover, can we talk about how you get into Boomer? Yeah, give us a give us a Boomer down real quick. Well, uh, before I couldn't always uh, go straight into the voice or straight into the accent. I had to figure it out. So I would start off by doing a Boomer down and everyone <laughs> thinks it's funny. Uh, so start off saying normal. Boomer, Boomer, Boomer. Boomer. <laughs> All right, now I'm Boomer. <laughs> uh, I just love that because it's a great range. But I've done enough times that now I can switch to it whenever I want. <laughs> That's a skill I don't think I got great at, sort of the comfort level, before I started GMing. Because I think Addy can attest to, like, the early sessions of the D&D game I ran a while back. Like, I didn't do a whole lot of very out there voices. And then, like, we got to a point where I had to be a farmer. And I decided, like... This person sounds fucking insane. I'm going to be ridiculous sitting here. Here we go. <laughs> uh, another thing you can do is uh, if you have a specific accent in mind, uh, try to find like a movie with a lot of people that talk like that. Like if you want to do an Irish accent, go find like Boondock Saints or something. Listen to a bunch of people like talk in Irish accents. That's I've been I binge watch stuff sometimes just so I can find an accent. Yeah. And the and the trick with that is not, don't just listen, like mimic them. Like if you if you hear a phrase that they say that you think you can pull off, like pause it and actually try it, rewind it. Did it sound the same? Um, that kind of thing. Um, people are better mimics than they think. So uh, so uh, that's that's the other thing. And the one last thing I will say, tying all this up, is that um, a lot of people don't do voices. I know because they're afraid of being inconsistent or not making it work. Um, and all of that comes with like practice. So, so I think that don't be afraid of being inconsistent. It, it all comes down to just like be comfortable. And, um, if you can't pretend that you're comfortable and eventually you will be. So Adrian, I hope that helps you, uh, get into character. Um, so the next question we have is from Nicole. Um, she says she has a handful of questions. The first few are for any in the group who runs games, which I think is everyone, actually. So yeah. this is for everyone. Um, have any of you had a solid plan in mind for a story before you began running or playing, um, but then come up with new ideas so interesting that you twist the story to include it somehow? That's literally every time I run a game. <laughs> Like, okay, I have a general idea of what I want to do. And then someone says something uh, or I'll think of something while people are talking. I'm like, oh, that's way better. Uh, and then I have to adapt the rest of the story. But then it just keeps kind of going its own path. Uh, so, yeah, that happens to me every single time I run a game. <laughs> It's kind of part of, you know, GMing. Sometimes you get an idea and then you're like, well, how can I fit that? I bet there's a way I can map the story towards it. Um, yeah, I did have a moment where uh, I was running a, a pretty loose story. It was uh, powered by the Apocalypse game that was meant to be pretty improv. Um, but I had one player that became pretty intent on PvP. Uh, and so that definitely changed because... However, it was going to happen. It was going to happen with the the party against the world, and it turned out that one of my players was on the side of 
the the antagonists in the world. Um, and so that really had me on my feet trying to figure out how to make it a satisfying story for everyone when they were kind of against each other. Yeah, I've only ever run like one real big campaign. I've run a lot of one shots, but like that campaign started with, I think you guys were investigating break-ins around a city. And then by the end, it was like a super meta campaign about like storytelling and the villains were writers and you traveled to like a space factory. <laughs> that one kind of got away from me, but it turned out to be really fun to run and I hope play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's just like that's the that's what happens when you have a series of ideas that you twist the story to to map into. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I think like Tommy said, it it comes with uh, GMing um, in general. I know that there are definitely GMs that are that uh, stick by the book, and and um, I'm more to that than some. Um, but I do know that people. Um, like me, uh, do have great ideas and then write it in a book to include in a later campaign if I can't figure out a way to incorporate it into my f rigidly flexible uh, plan. Nicole's second question is, do any of you ever suffer from GM burnout? And if so, how do you deal with it? Especially Tommy and Addie, since you two have started running games for the podcast. Definitely the podcast. Uh, I am really excited at ending this series, being able to step back and become a player again for a little while. I think everyone eventually suffers from GM burnout at some point if they run enough games. Uh, the good thing about that is that we had the luxury of uh, having a bunch of friends who like to run games. Before the podcast came around, before I even met half of the cast, uh, I just used to run games for Covert and a few of our mutual friends. Uh, and I, I was the only one that ran games for a really long time until one day Covert was like, hey, I think I might want to run a game. And I was like, please do. And uh, and then we kind of started alternating. And then and then like I met Addy and then we were and Dan and all of a sudden I knew all these people who ran games. And so we just kind of like every once in a while someone's like, hey, I have an idea for a campaign. I'm going to run like six sessions. Let's go. And we run like six sessions. Then we move on and be like, hey, I have an idea for a campaign. And like everyone kind of gets a break. And if there's only one GM in your group, don't be afraid to pick it up and try it. Uh, I was terrified when I first started and uh now here I am. I've got my own home game at home in Kansas that I'm running with my friends here. And I would not be in a game right now if I hadn't thought, hey, I'm going to give this a try. It's a learning experience and your friends are going to understand. And you can always talk with your more experienced GMs. I'm constantly bombarding Tommy and Addy <laughs> with questions like, hey, does this sound cool? Hey, is this stupid? Is this a good idea? And not to mention, there's also lots of forums online you can get advice from as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to echo what Covert said, because um, I'm a relatively new GM. And I think that you just got to find a system that really speaks to you, because I love D&D and I love Shadowrun. But that is in intense and scary to say I'm going to run a D&D <laughs> campaign, you know, um, the world is so big and so well developed. And um, as as great as, you know, fifth edition is, there's a ton of rules to kind of have in the back of your mind. But um, there are a, a myriad of indie RPGs that um, are super easy to get into, have really kind of different worlds that might just 
kind of catch your eye. So I would say, you know, if you're worried about getting into a game and, and you, you want to GM, take a look at the different systems that are out there because you might find one that is so interesting that you just have to run it. Um, so Nicole's final question is, out of the two series of Shadowrun the group has done, which one did you like the most? Oh, man, that's such a heavy question. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. I will start with both of these campaigns were incredibly fun to play in, and I would not say that either of them was, like, more well-made or well-run or, like, any of that. All Like, on terms of just quality, easily both top-notch. I will say the first time we did Shadowrun was also the first game I played on the podcast. Um, and that experience of like playing in this situation and playing a character that had so much thought had gone into and a campaign that so much thought had gone into, that was also the first time that I got to play in a real campaign that someone had thought of for the characters that we had all made. And like that whole experience is something that really you can't recreate because it was the first time for so many things coming together for me personally so, like, that first Shadowrun season, I think, is always going to hold, like, a special, unreplaceable place in my heart. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm all teary-eyed. <laughs> well, yeah. on the other hand, I also had kick-ass armor in the second series, so. <laughs> I'm going to be a rebel and instead take a 20-episode chunk in the middle. <laughs> Once everything kind of got like really hyper crazy and we were hyper leveled and like prime runners and the world was ending and we were fighting the great corruptor like that seemed like too big from for little mouse. (laughs) Um, And then uh, the first, you know, like 10 episodes, I I always felt like episode like eight was where we really hit our stride in the in the first series. And so. I would actually say, like, one over the other, I don't have a preference. But um, that that middle chunk, that middle of the campaign chunk, including the session zero with Kashmir at the beginning of the bonus episodes for this series, um, uh, that, like, whole uh, chunk right there in the middle is, like, where we were in, like, our, like, zone uh, and where everything was, like, still pretty uncertain. And we hadn't met a dragon yet. <laughs> Well, you had, you just didn't well, we know. Had, we didn't know. <laughs> yeah. <there you> go. <laughs> uh, so our next question is from Mark. Um, how do you, how do all of you stay in character and make such good in character responses? What advice would you give players and GMs to do the same? I think this follows back to what we said earlier, about like to answer the question about doing character voices, your group is, friendly and non-judgmental and also all willing to like commit to doing like a very narratively character story driven campaign then then it kind of starts to become easier especially once you allow yourself to perform Uh, but as a gm trick what i always do when i'm running for people who are a little like shaky on the in character responses you know as long as they're not completely uncomfortable with it what I tend to do is when they go, uh, I want to convince them to sell it to me at a discount. 
And that's all they say. They don't like, you know, say in, in character, like what they actually told the person. The easiest thing to do as a GM is to respond in the NPC's voice. Because uh, usually you can at least get the person responding to you in a conversational format as opposed to like a stage direction format. <laughs> what, this? Do you know how expensive this was to get? Like those kind of things. And then like hopefully they go, look, I mean, I'm just, you should sell it to me because I saved the town or something. And then you go back and forth for a while and hopefully get a little bit of like dialogue. Uh, and then eventually it just kind of becomes easier and easier the more you do it. I don't know the time required exactly to record all of these episodes, but it's more than the time like the edited down episodes are. That's how long we've lived in these characters' headspaces, which is a very long time, to the point that, like, Bumble Session Zero, I had to think, like, what does Bumbles want here? What do I do? By the time we record, like, the finale of this, there's like, oh, yeah, I do this. That's what I do. I know that. Because we spent probably 100 hours in this headspace. <laughs> <laughs> and the second part of that is, is sort of a tip for getting to there. Um, what I did for Bumbles was I figured out like one or two core values that were going to drive everything he did. And that sort of, for me, stemmed from Bumbles was the backup plan in a lot of season one. And that evolved to Bumbles makes sure everyone else gets home safe. And as long as I kind of kept that at the forefront of my decision making, it was a lot easier to respond in character and always thinking like, OK, if I'm not sure what gets everyone home safe what gets the job done with the least amount of us dead as possible. Uh, and like we always say, we will answer every question that's sent to us. Uh, <laughs> so the second question that Mark asked was, why are you all so nice and cool? Uh, and for a little context, we actually got to meet him at uh, Gen Con this year. Um, and so we, we had a little time to chat. And I think uh, we pulled it off, guys. We're nice and cool. Yeah. Well, I, I think it really just comes down to movie magic. <laughs> movie magic. What, what is cool? <laughs> what is this word? <laughs> We are, Brie. We are. <laughs> Look in a mirror, Brie. That answers your question. Uh, Thanks, Mark. You were pretty cool and nice, too. Uh, all right. So we got some questions from uh, Sean, uh, not to be confused with Sean for uh, previous cast member on Essential NPCs. Uh, all right. First one's for Tommy. Um, in one episode, you mentioned that you love hackers and Shadowrun. There's an old adage with longtime Shadowrun GMs to not have hackers on the team because they essentially do a ton of stuff that the party can't engage with. So it's easier to leave uh, them out altogether and have that aspect of a run done by an NPC. I've also noticed that you've never had this issue within your game. Do you have a scaled back system that you use for hacking? No, I'm just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I don't actually. Um, weirdly enough, I never even considered <laughs> a scaled back version of hacking. I feel like we may have mentioned it in a, uh, words with the GM uh during series two, the first Shadowrun series, uh, it's it's something along the lines of um, find out ways that you can have other things going on that other people need to be doing while the hacker is doing their thing or things that other players need to do to enable the hacker to do their thing. Uh, things like Faraday cages, an amazing tool to make sure that a hacker doesn't just stay in the van and do their job from there. Another thing is having uh, security systems be hardwired. So at the very least, somebody has to sneak in and stick a data tap on something for the hacker to do it remotely. Um, anything like that. Um, and like 
uh, that way, like all it takes is like, oh, we need to tap into this thing. It's hardwired. Uh, so we need the face to talk by the guard. We need, and while that, while the face is talking to the guard, then the sneaky person can sneak in through the ventilation shaft and the rigger can like send fly spies ahead to scout out for the sneaky person. And then we can get that data tap on there. Make it so that hacking isn't the easy solution to what you need to do. That's like the, the, easy, the, the quintessential way that I, uh, that I make it happen. Uh, and then I will, I guess if I think about some ways that I've streamlined it is I will make it so that easy things to hack don't require a role anymore. Like once we get to this level power level for mouse, uh, I just, I just flat out go, Oh no, you're, you don't have to ha- roll for that comm link. You got it. Uh, and that does help streamline it a little bit too. Like uh, uh, if you if you want something to not take a really long time, assume that the hacker can buy enough hits to make it work. I think it's really important in Shadowrun for the, uh, the GM and the player sit down and build the character together. So when Tommy and I sat down to create Mouse, Tommy taught me the rules. And then after that, there wasn't so it wasn't hard anymore. I, I think being a face or being a Sammy is harder because like, I don't know the gun rules and like, <laughs> how am I supposed to convince this orc that he should just let me in? Cause I'm cool. Uh, or whatever. Like, and nice. And nice. <laughs> um, uh, give him Mark's number. <laughs> <laughs> if you know the rules to any of your sort of like archetypes, uh, it suddenly becomes easy. I knew that those rules in and out, and it is really important that the player also knows the rules in and out because there's a lot of times that I don't bog down the game specifically because I go, Addy, roll to get marks. You're trying to get more than this many hits. Let me know what happens. And then I turn and like resolve things with other people and I go back to Addy and I go, okay, how'd all that hacking go? <laughs> because like she can resolve it herself because she knows the rules well enough. Sean has a follow-up question that is for the cast, which is, was there a point in the game where you felt that Mouse's hacking bogged down the game and you were left waiting for your turn to do something? No. <laughs> um, so the longer answer to that is Tommy uh, is really great at popping back and forth between uh, characters, even without hacking, even if it's, you know, Nim and Boomer. Uh, he's great at making sure that your, your time between actions is never going to be, you know, six hours. If anything, the times when Mouse was like, all in we're focused on our hacking for a while were these really dramatic moments where it was mouse's time to shine and we were heavily invested being on her team yeah it does it does help a lot uh as a uh if you have a group of players that really care about everyone else's stuff as much as their own so like when mouse is in danger in the matrix they're not sitting there being like oh boring when do i get to do something instead they're like mouse is about to die and there's nothing i can do to help her oh god oh god oh god (laughs) please don't let that probe see her and uh sean has one more question which is it seems like you do a large amount of editing for each episode how much time of each episode do you end up cutting There's a lot that does get cut, um, and I will say for Shadowrun, uh, with the fact that things do take a long time to resolve, there's more to cut in Shadowrun than there is in other systems so far that we've played. Most of what I cut is dead air, long amounts of time spent looking up and clarifying rules, and uh, any any weird, like sidetrack conversations that don't have anything to do with anything. We don't have a lot of those, but on occasion they happen. I hand like fully never cut anything. That's story content. I only cut out the stuff that 
slows the narrative down. Um, and most of that is just dead air or rolling 20 dice and counting your hits. <laughs> you know, in, you know, we're all Rain Man as far as the edited version of the podcast <laughs> is concerned. Um, as far as how long it takes me to do that, it depends. It depends on if it's a combat-heavy episode or if there's a lot of uh, uh, interruptions. We do have upstairs neighbors. We do have cars that drive by sometimes, planes that fly overhead. They do slow us down some, and sometimes we have to like pause for like a good five minutes while like someone's mowing their lawn or something. <laughs> sometimes editing is very quick, and I have two hours of raw content to go through, and it takes me about four hours max. Uh, and there's been one or two shadow episodes that I've been like four hours raw. And that is like an entire overnight project that I like have to spend a really long time doing. It varies. And, uh, you can rest assured that at least I don't cut out anything that's worth listening to. <laughs> and, um, our two final questions for, uh, the, for post game chatter come from Jim. He says, first off, it's so exciting to be submitting for post game chatter uh i jumped on board the podcast in the middle of season um in the middle of series four but started from the beginning so series five has been the first one i've been listening to in real time this show has been a huge inspiration for me as a budding gm and storyteller yay and congrats on catching up (laughs) (laughs) thanks jim um his first question is uh for the whole group um but mostly tommy when returning to this campaign slash setting, can you give an approximate breakdown of what content you had totally established for last series that never came up? Um, what were the plot hooks you threw down as open-ended ideas and what was crafted new, uh, for this series? Well, I, I, I kind of mentioned earlier that I left the whole mouse clone story and cashmere corrupted story open-ended, um, None of the stuff that followed was planned out until we real until I realized we had to do another series of Shadowrun. I that was the struggle this time around was that I <laughs> was like, oh, I have to figure out how this works now. Um, and so, uh, so all the content that made it into the first series of Shadowrun was stuff that I had crafted for it. There wasn't anything that had to get chopped and thrown away. Uh, the only thing that kind of happened that um, I hadn't really planned on it that I had to like change the story and uh, delete some some of my intended content was at the end of series uh, two when uh, they went to Beatrix Riddle's house. Then they came up and Hellion made his like manifesto and then killed Whitmore all while Bryn was out of state. That was because I had started running out of time uh, originally the team was going to go to Washington and have a, a little bit of a, a red herring investigation there. Um, and instead I just flipped it cause I wanted them to be separated from Bryn. I flipped it so that uh, Bryn was separated and at, at Washington. And then I just had to make sure the team wasn't around to save Whitmore. <laughs> Nearly everything that happened in this series was crafted specifically for this series uh, because I didn't really know how I was going to resolve Kashmir's plots and Mouse's plots until it happened. Uh, and our final question for postgame chatter is also from Jim. Um, it's a question for Tommy and Roman, who isn't here. Um, scheduling issues. <laughs> um, how much input did Roman have into Kashmir's actions, both in the bonus episodes and after he abandoned the party? Uh, in general, I'd love to hear more about this arc since we don't get a words with a GM for bonus content and the cashmere material for the season has been some of the most intense and engaging content on the podcast thus far. 
it was pretty intense. Uh, yeah, we sat down before we fully casted series five, uh, and I talked to Roman about like the various options I saw moving forward because of how difficult it would be to pull him in scheduling wise. It was pretty easy because he and I kind of had like a, a similar vision for what might happen. As soon as he realized that like, you know, where Kashmir's story was kind of going to go, uh, he was very on board with a lot of my ideas. As far as what he did in the bonus episodes, that was all him. Uh, I told him what beats I wanted him to hit. Uh, it was a little bit structured. He was like half an NPC and half a PC during the the bonus episodes because I was like, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea. You guys are going to go on a run and there's going to be an opportunity for you to kill a lot of innocent people. I need you to take that opportunity. <laughs> um, these are your new powers. Uh, I don't think Kashmir knows them yet, but you do as the player. Uh, and... Uh, there may be an, uh, the only other beat I had was I told him there may be an instance where he'll have an opportunity to kill one innocent person without anyone knowing, uh, to kind of like prelude, uh, like the like horrible disaster that happened at the end. And that's when he killed the like ship captain when, when he went up there to like go make sure he was still tied up and, and Roman hit all those beats perfectly. Uh, uh, but everything else, like all of the discussions, the way that he played his character during that, the way like he he like reacted to the magic, uh, that was that was all him. Uh, he just kind of knew what was going to happen at the end uh, for the most part. And uh, then after that, as far as like once the series started proper, um, that's when I just sent him some scripts and was like, these are the two scenes that they're going to see Kashmir uh during, you know, this is the two recordings they'll have of him. What do you think? And he was like, I love it. Let's do it. Uh, he was, <clears throat> he was really on board with it. The one note he had, which was something that I was always angling for. He just was like, I want to make sure that Casimir doesn't come across as like a pathetic victim. Uh, that would be, that would be kind of a disappointing ending to his story. If you ask me, like, cause he's always been a little pathetic. I want him to like, kind of grow. Like, this is what he was meant to like do was like, do this. I was like, Oh yeah, no, trust me. He's going to save the world. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, uh, he was very on board for it. Um, and had a lot of, uh, and had the opportunity to give me a lot of input, uh, which helped a whole lot. So that's it for post-game chatter. Thank you guys for all of your questions. We've had a great time answering them, and we can't wait to hear what you guys uh, think about our next series, which is going to be Atomic Highway. If you have any other questions that uh, have come up in our responses, don't hesitate to send them uh, to us via social media or uh, our email, which is EssentialNPCsPodcast at gmail.com. Um, and then we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud. Uh, and if you love our podcast and want to support us, you can go to Patreon and become one of our sponsors. So we will see you guys next week for our blooper reel for season five. Um, there will be no new full narrative episode. Uh, and then the next week after that, we will start on Atomic Highway. Uh, so thanks. And we will see you guys then. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you everyone who sent in questions. Uh, this has been one of our best turnouts for questions so far. We love it, love it, love it. I uh, hope you guys enjoy series six and I hope you send twice as many questions. Uh, we love you. We wouldn't do this if it weren't for you. Um, so see you all at the blooper reel. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bloops. <laughs> 
This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, sponsored, or specifically approved by the Tops Company Incorporated. Shadowrun is a trademark of the Tops Company Incorporated. All rights reserved. Go to www.shadowruntabletop.com for more information.